Mystery Movie Podcast for Manchester by the Sea. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Merkreski. Uh, I'm just the backup. And with our uh, – I have a, I have something I want to bring up later. Remind me to bring up something I want to bring up. And with a Manchester by the Sea tagline or two, maybe three. Sometimes we've gotten more than that. We'll see what it is this week. We have Kelly Wand. Finally, a movie where Casey Affleck's sad. <laughs> Keep going. It's like light between the oceans, but dark. <laughs> okay, that one's for Dingus. Uh, you got another one? <laughs> for Dingus. That's Tom's review of it. <laughs> well, he enjoyed it. That's what the blurb says on the poster. <laughs> so Tom the with the thumbs down and then the words for It's Dingus. the blurb of the blurb. Tom holding his nose going, <sighs> It was okay. I've heard better. All right, you have a third one. Uh, finally, there's four deleted scenes where he f- and for other Oh. All right. Oh, too soon. We'll be too soon. No, no, we'll be bleeping that for people who have not seen the movie. Dingus, tell what? them a little bit about Manchester. Doesn't mean anything by, about Manchester by the Sea, which does not include spoilers. Let's talk about Westworld. All right. This week we saw Manchester by the Sea, mm-hmm. a 2016 American drama movie about the cultural importance of Star Trek. It was written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan. Mm. It stars Casey Affleck. Lucas Hedges, Kyle Chandler, Kara Hayward, Michelle Williams, and Anna Barishnikov. Don't don't pause for Kelly Wan to make a name after or make a noise after Kara Hayward's name, Dingus. Yeah, well, I can't, I, you know. I, am, I know what you were doing. I know. I saw the movie. I'm well aware. He's yeah, agreeing with it. Uh, what rating is this movie, Dingus? Is it a PG, PG-13? What do we got here? Manchester by the Sea is rated R. Mm, there must be smoking. For language throughout mm-hmm. and the house is smoke. some sexual content. There actually is smoking. Are we going to have to bleep you twice now? <laughs> Way more. Kelly Wand, what are what things did the MPAA miss that they should have pointed out to, to concerned parents who might be thinking of taking their children to see Manchester by the Sea? If I was Jack Fellaini's ghost, I would have said thematic elements and some Boston language. <laughs> Very much so. But I'm a stickler. Uh, Manchester by the Sea <laughs> is it the same thing on Rotten Tomatoes as Fury Road and Moana? Manoa. Wait, so thing is the. Moana, Juana man. Actually, what is, is it? Manoa, Moana. What is the name of the Dwight the Dwayne the Johnson thing? thing? It's the I don't first know. It's one. like Mona or something, but I don't yeah. know. Uh, it's, I, it's, I think it's Moana. Mo- M O A N A. It's just Mona, isn't it? Moa, Moa. Listen, a bunch of non, bunch of non Hawaiians here. Uh, it's Lilo and Stitch. That's what it is. Uh, at any rate, I don't think we sound too white at all. It's at ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Uh, which and on, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 95. Oh, fuck. How about that? Uh, it's not on CinemaScore, but when I searched CinemaScore to see if it had, by some strange turn of events, been included, I found out that Manchurian Candidate got a B-plus on Cine- CinemaScore, just which so that's one? out there. Which one? The Denzel Washington one, which uh, I don't think I've ever seen. But uh, idiots aren't fond of it, apparently, according to the CinemaScore. Manchurian? Manchurian Candidate, which is uh, Denzel Washington. What's the first remake. one's rating? Man on Fire is the first one. So, Kelly Wand, I would like you to now offer to me and Dingus and the listeners uh, Manchopsis by the Sea. Ooh, close. 
What is it actually? Uh, it it shows up during. Ah, good. All There's right. a Bond movie opening, and then. <laughs> okay, uh, good. I like that. I like the reveal. All right, this. you have to wait. So Kelly Wan, take it away. Nonlinear opsis. Yeah. Oh, spoiler. Now you know that it's an opsis. <laughs> Casey Affleck leaves acting and gets a job telling tenants he has no idea how to help them. He tells one guy. Yeah, it's either your stopper or everything. <laughs> the guy's all, can't you give me a professional opinion? Affleck's all, I say, let's replace everything first. Then if that doesn't work, let's just replace the stopper. <clears throat> Later in a black lady's apartment. Thanks for plunging all that shit. Sorry so much, broccoli. Affleck splashes himself in the face with toilet water. He's all, you should see this movie I made with Damon where I walk across a desert slower. Her phone rings. She's all, one sec, I want to hear how that ends. Hello, Shantae, guess what? I get horny for my handyman. He's standing right next to me, plunging my broccoli. Affleck's all, fucking Lonergan. He slips and gets his head stuck in the bowl. The black lady yawns into the phone as his frenzied hand hits flush. She's all, nah, this ain't the Gone Girl one. I think it's his niece. Some words are all manchopsis by the sepsis. Mm. God, so close. Uh. <laughs> sepsis. One day, Casey Affleck's phone rings. He picks it up, listens for a minute, and goes, When did this happen? It turns out to be a wrong number, so he goes to a hospital to complain. <laughs> there, a blonde man with a red mustache is all, Hey, your dad died, and your brother's Kyle Chandler, so one of them's downstairs in intensive care. Any guesses? Casey Affleck goes downstairs and eventually finds a bed with the right brother in it. The doctor's all, Well, Mr. Chandler, the good news is that you're only dying from congenital heart failure, whatever that is. Look, if only artificial hearts existed. He shrugs nostalgically. Kyle Chandler's all, Yeah, I've always had heart issues. Why does it keep making that click-click sound? The doctor's all, Supposed to do that. A blonde woman's all, That's it, I'm out of here. She stands up and storms out. Casey's all, Fuck her. Everyone's all, oh, God, gross. The doctor's all, I only wish all my patients were like her. Anyway, your life expectancy is now 50 to 60 years. Kyle Chandler's all, really? Sweet. I just turned 59. Now I gained six more decades. (laughs) Over the world record. Why do people hate going to the hospital? He picks up a phone and goes, hello, Blue Cross? Cancel my life insurance immediately. (laughs) You're welcome. He hangs up. The doctor's all, no, I meant 50 total. Also dog ears. To celebrate, Casey Affleck tunes out the conversation and recollects how he bur- <laughs> <laughs> how he burned his daughters in house down by tripping in snow. Some co- <laughs> some cops stare at him in a police station. He's all fireplaces have screens. And I can get sick if my wife has the flu? He rolls his eyes. He grabs a cop's gun and tries to shoot all the cops, but they talk him out of it by hugging him and putting more bullets in the gun. The next day, a lawyer's all, Hey, good news, Affleck. Your brother killed... <laughs> good news, Affleck. Your brother willed you his kid. Says here, I hope he treats... <laughs> Make sure to get the consonants in the right place on that one, Kelly. That's that totally different. Yeah. <laughs> That would have changed the movie. <laughs> says here, I hope he treats my son with the same care he gave his own daughters. 
Also, uh, lift a check here for 12 bucks. Not bad, but I need to keep that as a processing fee for telling you this. Casey's all, 12 what? I look over at Anna Redu sitting beside me and go, hey, what's Bill Cosby's favorite country? Fat Albania. He says something critically acclaimed. Meanwhile, a tall blonde kid's all, hey, Mr. Affleck, is it cool if I have a few friends over and do a little blow? Casey's all, fuck you asking me for. I've only successfully raised girls. The kids all. Also, whatever you do, please don't mention either my girlfriends in front of my boyfriend or Coach Heptapod. Affleck's all. By the way, it's snowing too hard for the crematorium to work, so we're having your father cryogenically frozen, like in uh, Alien and Demolition Man. You should come see the body at the morgue. It's a hoot. Some glass breaks downstairs. The kids all. <laughs> Kenny's bleeding. The drummer's all. Yo, fuck you. Star Trek's the cornerstone of civilization. Every movie you've ever seen came from Star Trek. The Mummy Returns, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Haunting, Tie Fighter, Crash, Lenny, Sliver, All of Me, This, The Village, Kingdom of the Spiders, Into Darkness, The Grey, Moby Dick, Vineyard, every movie except Arrival. The Hero Kids all. I like Star Treks. Casey rolls his eyes. What a disaster. The next day, the kid freaks out because he forgets how to close a freezer. He runs upstairs laughing. <laughs> Casey kicks his door in and goes, Hey, this will cheer you up. I'm moving into a basement. My mustache friend's coming over tomorrow to unwrap a brown chair in it. The kid's all, Speaking of which, my boat's sinking. I think it needs a new stopper. A blonde girl walks in, then walks out again. The kid's all, Hey, I need you to have sex with Sylvie's ma so we can get our math homework done. <laughs> Also, my band's called Stentorian. We almost have a whole lyric done. My drummer's useless. The Star Trek kid's all, hey. Casey's all, yeah, no problem. Don't tell Sylvie about Star Trek. Got it. The blonde girl's all, hey. Casey Affleck stares at them, then goes to a bar and drinks, according to his calculator later, 1.196 beers a second. After 80 seconds, he notices two guys staring at him from across the bar. One leans over to his friend and goes, hey, that guy's brother beat a tire with a hammer because he thought it was super. <laughs> Casey gets up, crosses over to them and goes, hey, do either of you know me? One's all, yeah. Casey's all, then how come you're not staring at me? The guy in the green sports car from Hell or High Water's all, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a long pull. The second one shoves his friend and goes, don't apologize. God. Punches are thrown. Eventually, the two guys convince Casey Affleck to stop hitting himself and switch to kicks. The next day, Casey Affleck's staring at a sidekick when Michelle Yeo comes up to him and goes, Casey, it's me, Randy. She points to her husband and goes, wait over there, please. Casey, I said a lot of terrible things the last time we had lunch together. Will you have lunch with me? Casey's all, 12 what? One of his burned up kids is all, you left the stove on again, fool. He wakes up to find himself in a room filled with smoke. He rolls his eyes and goes back to sleep. The kid's girlfriend's mom sitting beside him on the couch rolls her eyes, sighs, gets up, goes upstairs and knocks on her daughter's door. She's all, honey, can you guys stop having sex for a second and get Casey to leave? He just keeps falling asleep whenever I talk and burning stuff in the kitchen. Through the door, the daughter giggles, just a second, mom. 
There's a thump, the sounds of wood snapping, and the tall kid opens the door. He's naked with a mangled dollhouse on his penis and a condom on his leg. <laughs> hey. I, it's kind of grown on me. Sheepishly, the kid's all, hi, Mrs. C. She's all, my name's Henderson. Casey Affleck wakes up to find himself in a garage watching four kids misplay musical instruments. <laughs> the blonde kid he inherited sings... Two girlfriends in hockey fights. My frozen dad was in Friday Night Lights. Okay, Randy, stop hitting the drum with your sticks in the background. I can still hear it. The girl members all. And we are Stan Orion. The kid smashes his guitar and pours lighter fluid on his microphone and his playlist, then sets them aflame. The girl takes her top off and shrugs. The drummer's gone. Casey Affleck's all. Yeah, keep the part where you smash the guitar and just lose everything before that. The kid's all, hey, Uncle Affleck, maybe we can raise the money to buy a new boat stopper by putting on a concert with my band. Except for Kenny, obviously. Casey Affleck looks at a glass case full of rifles, then points at it and goes, I got a better idea. The kid's all, sell the guns? That's awesome. Affleck's all, sell them? Uh, yeah, right, that's what I meant, yeah. The kid, sick of Affleck's alcoholism, decides to spend a day with his mom. Then they sit at a table with Matthew Broderick in a sweater at it. Broderick's all, bless us, O Lord, for keeping this family together. The blonde kid's arm falls off. The mom gets up, goes, excuse me, I think I left some alcohol in the kitchen, and walks out. Broderick's all, um, in the name of the holy, excuse me for a moment. He keeps sitting there smiling. <laughs> when Affleck wakes up, he's at a funeral. Everyone takes turns brushing dirt and dust off themselves down onto the coffin in the grave. A large man throws his pants in. Casey Affleck walks up to the podium, waves away the priest who's trying to restrain him, and goes, You want to know something awesome about my brother? No? Well, tough. I'll never forget. Whenever I said to him I was going to go get some from Taco Bell, he'd always yawn right at me just like a chimp and say the same thing. It's your funeral. Well, I may be drunk right now, but I can't help thinking he's up there looking down on all of us and saying those words even as we speak. Over and over. Good night. A funeral heckler's all, it's mid-afternoon. Suddenly, Daffleck does something dumb, and everyone at the funeral burns to death. The end. Oh, Kelly Wand. Wow. What? Expected ending. <laughs> wow. Uh, I will say, I really liked your Matthew Broderick. I kind of wanted to hear more of that. He's not in it much. But you had him down, though. You definitely had nailed your Matthew Broderick impression. It's just too similar already. Kelly Wand, how did it feel to do a comedy opsis of this movie? Um... And what was your over and under? Usually this, the opsis ruins a movie for me, but in this case, it seemed this was one of those movies where I kind of liked it more. After you'd done the opsis? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. What's, this, what's an example then of a movie that you liked slightly better than Manchester by the Sea and a movie that wasn't quite as good as Manchester by the Sea? Um, my theme for over and under is grief movies. Mm -hmm. So my over is birth, <laughs> which I just thought was the best handling of it. Okay. And the most expressive. And my under is Hesher, which I thought was too, um, I don't know, method. <laughs> Didn't we like Hesher, though? Mm, I don't know. I don't like that ending. I feel like it's too written. So you're not bracketing too tightly. You're just doing a not-as-good grief movie and a better grief movie. Well, I just think that this one falls in between those. And it's, it's I mean, you know, it's a matter of taste. Mm -hmm. uh, Dingus, what's a movie that's slightly better than Manchester by the Sea, and what's one that's not quite as good, and what's your overall opinion of this? 
Ah, uh, boy, I had a really hard time bracketing this. Um, uh, and I don't even know that my over is over. Uh, I mean, I know it's finished. I've seen it. Uh, I just don't know if it really, if it really does qualify as being over. But um, thematically, I chose uh, uh, having to take care of relatives you don't know you're going to have to take care of or you didn't plan for taking care of, basically. Um, sort of that unexpected... Oh, now this is in my lap. So um, the over, the and this is, maybe this is low-hanging fruit or this is easy, but I would put uh, You Can Count On Me for a couple of different reasons, um, just slightly over this, but I don't know if that's true. Um, and then under this, I would put uh, The Savages. Um, but I'm, I, I'm, I've seen this movie twice now in theater, and I'm pretty crazy about it. Um, it's a, it's hard. It was hard to watch both times. It's kind of um, exhausting. It is really exhausting, uh, especially when you see it late at night. But uh, but I had an interesting time going to see it the first time. Uh, it was a really interesting experience seeing it the first time, um, and I really liked that experience. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, let's move on to you, Tom. Uh, I almost did a Fury Road thing where I was going to say I don't have an over because like you, Dingus, I'm not sure uh, – You know, this is one of those hard-hitting movies that I think takes a little time to really get perspective on, and I'm not entirely sure I've got that perspective yet. So at this point, I was going to say I don't have an over, so what I'm just going to do is say that I, I think I'm – I might say that Margaret is maybe a better movie because it's it's more mm-hmm. it's it's unique, it's more ambitious in a way. It's Lonergan outside of his comfort zone. Uh, it was a troubled production. He had help. It's it's interesting to watch the the studio release and then the recut that he did with. Um, do you guys remember who helped him on a recut of that? I want to say like Martin Scorsese or something like that. But I don't remember. At any rate, Margaret was uh, a storied production for many reasons, and it's an amazing movie. Uh, it's distinct in many ways. Uh, this, not to say this isn't distinct, not to say this isn't uh, amazing. This I would rank slightly under Margaret, and then a movie that's not quite as good as this, but that I adore and that I would bracket up against it, and it kind of inverts your choice, Dingus. Uh, I would say you can count on me. So just looking at Kenneth Lonergan's body of work, I go Margaret, Manchester by the Sea, you can count on me, but I reserve the right to, to change that around in the near future because I'm kind of still physically exhausted by, by this movie. Uh, which, you know, my, my main takeaway was. I'm so glad Kenneth Lonergan is working. I mean, it's like seeing a Jonathan Glazer movie. It's like, yeah. oh my god, this guy, take as much time as you need between movies if this is the kind of work you're going to do. Uh, this is just a, it's, it's a gift. I mean, I just am grateful that I could pay, you know, $15 and have this experience. Just, wow. Yeah. It's I'm, different. I'm with you on that. And just look at it's the, good. look at the toll of the years on him, you know, appearing in both you can count on me and the way he looks when he appears in this movie. I didn't like that, by the way. I didn't like I was that either, but it's weird. Feast and you can count on me. It was yeah. cute. Uh, it was light. But the moment I saw him as the passerby, I was like, oh, don't Kenneth Lonergan. You took me. At, no, get someone. Because yeah. he had so many great faces and he had so many great casting choices. And if I didn't know that was him, that would have been fine. But I, I, I that was one thing that I was like, no, Kenneth Lonergan, it's a misstep. Don't do cameos. You're not Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, because uh, what I started to think, because this is an amazing moment. 
uh, especially uh, from from parenting point of view to have like somebody on the street yeah. yell at you or, or just say yeah nice parenting and then to, and then to be taken out of the moment by going is that him yeah I guess that is him did you notice Kelly one that, that was Kenneth Lonergan I was told afterwards because okay. I didn't know who it was right. uh, it's was... been in your in your seat Kelly one yeah me too. Um, it changes my take on that part because he seemed kind of smarmy of that. I don't know. It seemed like a, he seemed like a different, like not a Bostonian. He could have been there from out of town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So let's else. take things. Okay. Of course. What, what do we have to say about Casey Affleck? Um, um, I'm, I'm happy to go first and say, you know, this is uh, a, a fucking fantastic performance. Um, uh, I'm crazy about him. Uh, I'm just crazy about this guy. And really, this is like a, for me, you know, when people would talk about, I remember one of my first, uh, paid theater gigs, uh, the, the older actors in the room talking about how great Brando was. And I'm like, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Uh, and they're just like, he just is. He just is. He just, I don't know. I, we don't know how to tell you this, but he just, he just is. He just, and that's kind of how I feel watching Casey Affleck do this kind of thing. Um, it just feels so real, and uh, it, it's just so wonderful watching him work. Um, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's kind of humbling watching him. I don't know how to put it. It's definitely, it's, it, it's a huge part of why this movie connects so well, and critically it's doing well. I could imagine maybe someone coming out of this and thinking, oh, it's too heavy, I wasn't into it. But I, I can't imagine anyone not appreciating his performance uh, and how crucial that is in terms of the reveals about what happened to him. Uh, I mean, he just does amazing work you know, laying the groundwork for this character and then exposing him to, to us. Uh, as far as working with Lonergan's script, too, I mean, it's just obviously the men understand each other. Uh, the way Lonergan knows how to shoot him. One thing that I noticed, uh, this is such an obscure little thing, but I remember seeing, and I think I brought, I've brought this up before. There, there's a bit in Blue Jasmine where Kate Blanchett is doing something awesome, and Woody Allen just drives me crazy because I don't think he, he just maybe works too quickly. I don't know what the deal is, but there's a point in Blue Jasmine where he cuts away from her way too quickly, and it bothered me. He's got this great moment, and then he edits out of there. I just loved how much Kenneth Lonergan never did that. I mean this is a long movie, and I'm okay with that. It didn't feel too long to me, but Kenneth Lonergan does not cut away early, uh, and and that that is a huge part of, of what makes Casey Affleck's performance work is that it has – really time to breathe yeah. and to just be there but not only that Lonergan is so generous with this and I realized this in the scene with uh, Casey Affleck coming to the hospital and there's that great actor named C.J. Wilson there who I don't think I've seen before playing a guy named George and and you know George is just so broken up by this of course and then there's the doctor and the nurse there and after Casey Affleck goes downstairs to view the body Lonergan stays with George and the nurse mm -hmm. to show him uh, breaking down and he didn't have to. It's not a movie about George. We don't even really know what the relationship is yet. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just an emotional moment. Lonergan understood the power of it. Uh, he understood what great work the actor was doing. And whereas another director might think, eh, let's stay on Casey Affleck at this point. Let's try to get that two-hour, uh, you know, 20-minute running time or whatever down. Let's cut early. And he didn't, and I love that about this movie. And it's full of that kind of thing. Um, 
and and yeah, Casey Affleck is. I'm curious if that's improvised. Then, like, yeah. I wondered about a lot of stuff. Like, uh, like I don't, I don't know how he works, and I know I think he has a theater background, but a lot of it made me think of, um, like, I know the way Mike Lee works yeah. is that he Mike gets Lee the actors together. Yeah, yeah, he gets the actors together and he gives them basic character sketches, and then they improvise, and from the improv, they get a shooting script. Uh, it's not necessarily improvised before the camera, and it gives the the performances, it, it gives Mike Lee's movies an intimacy and an immediacy, sort of an honesty right. uh, that I definitely see going on here. Uh, and I don't know if he does a lot of takes. Uh, I don't know, you know, what kind of involved staging there is. Uh, but yeah, the end result. Yeah, I'm curious how how that works as well, and if there is any improv. Uh, I will say there's the bit with. Uh, the, the ball at the end where he hmm. picks up a ball and it's a long <laughs> yes. shot of them walking and and I don't know at this point if I, my my head was just swimming too much and all the stuff it had been exposed to but at one point he's bouncing the ball and the ball rolls away and uh, Casey Affleck says to the other uh, actor uh, let it go and the other actor doesn't let it go and picks it up and I'm like is that a metaphor like did Kenneth Lonergan write that specifically and, and say, they keep missing. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. They're missing each other, and then finally they connect. I'm like, did did they stage that, or does Lonergan just shoot stuff and then pull these out of there? No, it, it feels works. really organic, though. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's what so I love organic. about that. Yeah, um, and 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 to the point of everything that you're saying, I just want to add in because, um, I, I think the editing in this movie is phenomenal, and uh, I think that part of what you're talking about. Um, his willingness to hang on a, a scene or hang on a look, uh, as opposed to what you had said about Blue Jasmine. I totally remember you bringing that up when we, when we got through with that movie. Um, uh, I think the editing in this movie is phenomenal. And the editor is, uh, is a woman named Jennifer. I don't know if you would, I, her name is, her last name is LAME. So I'm guessing it's Jennifer Lane. Um, and she worked as a, uh, an apprentice editor on, uh, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Ah, um, which, great Sidney Lumet movie, yeah. Yeah, w- which, given the way that this movie is edited time-wise, really makes sense looking at that. But she was an apprentice editor on that. She was also she also worked on Francis Ha and Mistress America. Um, uh, or she was the editor on those two movies. No, we'll, uh, and, we'll, we'll pretend that last one didn't happen. Yeah, but Francis Ha, <laughs> for instance. Right. Um, but, but that whole, that whole sequence where... Um, where Casey Affleck is in the uh, lawyer's office doing the will and the way all of that is yeah. cut, yeah. the editing of that and how much time, and you're right to call it generous, how much time we have with, with, with Casey Affleck and how much he trusts, how clearly Kenneth Lonergan trusts Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck. Uh, it, it's very clear that the two of them trust each other. Um, and then they're working hand in hand with this, this editor, Jennifer Lane, who I think does an amazing job on this movie. Well, there are so many what I would sort of call real-time moments that normally you'd cut around that I'm so grateful are there, and I'm not entirely sure I know why. But what comes to mind is the excruciating bit where they're trying to get uh, Michelle Williams' gurney into the ambulance, uh, mm-hmm. and the bottom keeps dropping out. Yeah. And I, you know, again, another editor would say that. Let's just cut that. It's it's yeah, awkward. It's, it's weird. But it feels so. It really organic. gets to this idea of these dramatic things juxtaposed with the mundane day to day life, and that's a lot right. of 
what the story is that he's telling here. And, uh, but you know, that, it, to remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is stuff that's probably seared in in a person's brain. Yeah, it's and, you know, they couldn't get the fucking gurney into the ambulance. And uh, yeah, it was just amazing that that was in there. And it makes me wonder, like you guys say, is that improvised? Does Lonergan, you know? Were the poor extras playing the, the EMTs really having a problem with the gurney, or did Lonergan yeah, say it took him fifteen more. takes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they kept they kept doing it too well. Yeah, I, I love that moment, but at first I didn't. At first I felt like it was like going for a weird kind of black humor thing. Well, it's intrusive. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's intrusive. But you know, when I when I was talking about this, because uh, our friend Alexandra uh, took me to see this movie as a surprise. She's just like, we're going to see a movie. I'm not telling you what movie it is. It's a movie you're going to want to see, so just come along. Do you want to know what the title is? Nope. And so we went to see it, and this is the movie that we saw. And so we talked about that. And that moment afterward, I was like, I'm not sure about that. And she's like, that's that's like one of those moments when everything else is going wrong. Why shouldn't that go wrong, too? And watching it a second time, there's that moment where where they're in the hospital, and the nurse says, okay, let me just have you sign for Joe's belongings. Yeah, and yeah, yes, Dingus, yes. Where's where is his blo- the plastic bag? I don't know. Where is it? I don't know. And there's a couple moments like that where something just doesn't work, and it's this is the worst possible time for it not to work. Casey Affleck has to get up the road before school is out. He has to get there. Well, we can't find the plastic bag, or this thing, this gurney won't work at this awful moment. And I really do love the way that they linger on, they let that moment develop. Because in life, at the worst possible moment, I can't find my keys, you know? Mm-hmm. And, the, and those types of things, I love that about this movie. And that's part of why it's exhausting, too, is it really yeah. does create uh, a, a universe in which things are really not doing what they're supposed to do on all levels. Yeah. You know, children dying, that shouldn't happen. It snows too uh, hard. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, – it's everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's things piling up, like snowing too hard literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, where would I, I leave my car? Yeah, oh my god, yes, exactly, right. Why would he have that in there? And it just – it creates an atmosphere. It creates this sense of uh, uh, kind of a worldview in a way. And it's it's painful. Yeah, futility. You know, when he says, I can't beat it, which is obviously that's sort of the, the pinnacle of the movie. I mean, that's what the movie's getting at. There are just so many aspects to what he can't beat. And uh, and, and this movie's just been about being frustrated. And is it is it a positive movie or is it uh, – Oh, wow. That's a uh, – yeah. What do you I come away? Is this movie like like I said? It creates this idea of this frustrating universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he he confesses at the end, I I can't beat it, but yet he reconciles. You know what he's going to do with uh, oh, shoot? What is his son's name? I can't leave him. Connor. Con- no, shut up, Kelly Wan. You had me almost Stop agreeing it. with uh, you. You mean Patrick? Right? Patrick, right? Uh, Lucas Hedges is that his name? Yeah. God, they were so good together. Who, was, who was also in Moonrise Kingdom, apparently. I don't remember which, which kid he was. But he ah, was he's Rise probably Kingdom. one of the Boy Scouts or something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hold that thought. Cause, uh, uh, but um, it, So it, is this ultimately a positive or a negative movie, or could you even say? Because I, I don't – I'm just throwing that – I don't even shot for that. I think, it, it's, I think it's about tunneling out, basically, and he just hasn't – been able to tunnel out yet i mean this i can't beat it which i which you know i've gone over and over in my head what is what does that mean when he says to him uh, when when you know when patrick says why can't you just stay and he's like i can't beat it and i'm just thinking about the different things that that might mean and i think it's it's him chiseling his way out of this 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 
this collapse of the mine of guilt on his life, and he just he might be able to see a little sunlight, um, but he's not out yet, and he's just he just can't he can't get out yet, he can't beat it yet. But I think ultimately, I think one of the things, and I'm really glad that you asked this question, Tom, because the, the second time through watching this movie, I felt more hopeful at the end when they're when they're walking together when they're talking about um you know the extra room that he's looking for an apartment with an extra room and why he's doing that and their inability to sort of connect on that level but ultimately being able to and and what that means as hope for the future i think but it's kind of distant but it's not like you know what kelly would normally hate as as this sort of redemption like okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna adopt you, and we're gonna live here, and we're gonna have a sitcom. It's gonna be, you know, two and a half men or whatever. It's like we are maybe going to get there. So there's a glimmer of hope, I think. I don't know how to answer that question. Kelly, one, how does this fit in with your uh, inability to abide redemption in a movie? You know, he needs a break. It's like a, <laughs> it's a tough room up to that point, and uh, I mean, it ends with the kid admitting that he's gonna miss him. Like, I don't know. Sounds redemptive. Mm. Eh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, my t- I, I sort if of think... If ahead. it reverses everything that's gone before, it's a legal move. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Lonergan's... And I, don't, I, I guess I would apply this to... Yeah, I would apply this to Margaret, in a way. Uh, Lonergan, I would say, tells stories about rewiring families. In... Mm. Uh, Having to sort of realign connections and who is the father figure to whom and all this stuff, just just rewiring. Uh, and I think even when the rewiring might not take as successfully as you might expect, you know, when Mark Ruffalo leaves at the end, uh, when Casey Affleck realizes he can't care for, for Patrick, uh, there are still connections there. And those connections were important and they served a purpose and they helped each of the characters, I like to think. And, and it seems to me coming out of Manchester by the Sea – you know, by the time the movie is over, in a way, uh, Casey Affleck's character has an, another brother-like figure to, to like he's sort of moving up in this this processional where uh, Kyle Chandler was to him in a way. Like he's mm-hmm. the, like that relationship that he lost when Kyle Chandler died. He now kind of has a replacement in a way with his relationship with Patrick. Now that Patrick has grown and has become an independent person that he might have to care for and look out for and help through difficult times. Um, this family has been rewired. Um, so ultimately, I do think it is positive, and it's certainly more positive than if he hadn't gone to Manchester. Right. You know, if he had just stayed there, burned out in that little room in Boston. Right. If he hadn't had this experience and learned what he did about himself, about his his brother, about his his nephew. Um, I really love the way you put that as rewiring, uh, because as a father, he should have been further along in his ability to be a father by this point that was truncated you know that was burned out of him right i, I didn't mean to use that particular <laughs> word i meant it in a wiring way it's the language um it, and so that develop that part of his development was uh was deca- it was was amputated in a way and now it's being rewired at a later at a later time later on where he might have been able to handle the parenting that is required here, 
Instead, he's asking questions like, you know, am I supposed to tell you to use a condom now? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. I don't know whether to allow you to do these things or not allow you to do these things. I don't know how to talk to other parents. I don't know how to talk to people. But had his life gone the way it should have gone, as a father, as a parent, he would know, he would have experience to be able to handle some of these things. And he can't. So it has to be rewired. I love the way you put that, Tom. Another moment of of, of Lonergan just taking time. The pause before am I supposed to tell you to wear a yeah. condom? Like, well, he just has no idea what to say. And the funny these were these are moments that would have been uh, just straight out funny. And you can count on me, right? Like you can count on me a lot lighter. Uh, but they're the same kind of awkward humor of someone being unable to connect with a child in a way, but in a, a much more serious circumstance, of course. But that am I supposed to tell you to use a condom? I mean, I, I, it, it's not a time to laugh, but it was hilarious. It was funny, and it said so much about the character, too. Uh, I loved that moment. Just It's writing. There were so many great bits like that. But then Patrick tries to return with the joke. He's like, you know, yeah. tell, tell us if we're being too loud. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're yeah, totally they missing. Connected. They're missing each other so many ways. And I love that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. Um who recognized Kara Hayward? Because I was like, I I know that girl from something, and it wasn't until the credits. Yeah, we had a Kara Hayward sighting from. I didn't Moon recognize. I, I was like, I know her, but yeah. not until I saw her name did I recognize. She's her. Uh She's the one because I knew yeah, there was a reason too. I was like, he shouldn't be with that other girl. That blonde one isn't nearly as good as the first one. <laughs> and it must be I must have been recollecting that. Hey, that's the Moonrise Kingdom chick. Yeah. Um. So Kelly, one, do you have any appropriate remarks to make? <laughs> Come on, it's both. Why do I have to choose? Why has it got to be neither or? <laughs> and the fair. Sandy girl is the daughter of Mikhail Baryshnikov, by the way. What? Yeah, Sandy is. Uh, she's her name's Anna Baryshnikov. She was. She's Mikhail Baryshnikov. I still think Kara Hayward's the better choice. I could tell from the way she poured the milk. But it, <laughs> on that cereal, you know what I'm saying? Wow. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> I was just gonna say I, I do love that. That with the weird awkward, it's like I don't like her. I don't want her here tonight. Yeah, I, I love the way that whole dynamic works out. Where like, where Patrick's like, "What you said no to me?" What, what? <laughs> I love the dynamic there because you know, it, as a parent, you understand this idea like that your your authority is tenuous. <laughs> it only goes so far as you saying no and then believing it. <laughs> and if Patrick's like, "Yeah, well, I'm going to have her over. What's it going to do?" Uh, and I love the way that works. I love the way that 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 the relationships in this movie have these I don't know these tenuous threads between them, and they get stronger based on how the characters agree on them being stronger. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Wand, who is less sympathetic? The kid in this movie for all of his basement biz shenanigans and the two girlfriends, or the teenager in Jurassic World? <laughs> Who's less or more? Is that Either. the question? Either, yeah. Which one? Uh, I hated the, the kid in Jurassic World because mm-hmm. he's doing is... this. Yeah, yeah. You you really made a point there. <laughs> Who's less sympathetic, this kid or the Baba Duke kid? Ooh, well, I, I, Baba Duke kid's not sympathetic at all. Who's less sympathetic, this kid or Damien? <laughs> you're you're naming people who aren't sympathetic at all. I'm making it fun. <laughs> oh, because that's what I did with the kid in Jurassic World, of course. Oh, I hated that kid. Wait, no. D- 
Dingus liked him. We both right. Dingus, was, Dingus wanted to stand Dingus up. Dingus liked the movie, though. It's, but see, this kind of redeemed Dingus's bit about that's what teenagers are like. Because <laughs> that, yeah, that, 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 that was that was Dingus's death. justification. Like, that's all laid. you get. But with this kid, you get a lot more. You get more nuance. That's true, right? Yeah. That was that kid's character trait. Is he had a girlfriend at home. He's leering at girls at the park. There was much more to Patrick, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. He was a way – so you're saying, Kelly Wand, that the writing in Manchester by the Sea is better than the writing in Jurassic World? Well, you know, that part. <laughs> <laughs> I did just think of your when, – when you were explaining to us, Dingus, well, that's what teenagers are like. Uh, <laughs> uh, so he was one of the kids in – That's good that like, Casey Affleck would have made a good character in Jurassic World. Like he, he loses his kids to dinosaurs. <laughs> Sent them to the park like the parents do in the movie. Like, wouldn't those parents have gone, What? We just, oh, we almost killed our kids. I would whatever. love to hear the, the police interview scene based on dinosaurs instead of a fire. Yeah, and then it's him answering and saying that same thing. This happened when? Dinosaurs, what? But that's not what happened. I swear when he was walking back from the convenience store before we knew what was going on that he was carrying diapers in that bag. It did not look like a bag full of beer to me. The beer was on the bottom. All right, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Because they're diapers, so it's it's a perfect combination. There's a point too in that, in that scene where he's he's there in the snow and the house is burned down, and he bends down out of frame, and I thought, oh, he's he's collapsed. But then he right. comes back into frame, and he's he's yeah. picked up the bag. You know, it's just it's this other just weird moment. Like, why is that in there? Why did? Yep. A, Casey Affleck decided to pick up the bag, and B, why did Lonergan leave that in there? And, and uh, Jennifer Lame, his editor. These are his memories, like, and then I dropped the bag. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, that was the biggest problem I had that night at that time. Like, how stupid am I? How silly? What a crazy night this is. And right, then... so, uh, let me ask you guys, what do you think? Is, this is hugely important to me uh, based on, uh, as far as how I view what this movie is. What did you guys think of the music in this movie? Well, obviously, Kenneth Lonergan is way more into liturgical music than I am. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I'm willing to let him do that. I mean, it's obviously what he wanted us to hear. And we all, I mean, that adagio is familiar. Everybody knows that. So, but but he did not let up on it. He played it through the whole time. You know, we got to hear the whole piece and maybe then some, I think. So um, what piece, because I, mean, I don't know, you know, when I was trying to figure out what was going on, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I wrote the word liturgy down. I wrote the word elegy. I wrote, wrote the word requiem, trying to figure out what he's doing with the the overwhelming music in some of those scenes, and even in the interview scene in the police station. So, what did you? What That's do you that mean adagio. By yeah, all that is that adagio playing. That okay. uh, I love her early work. What? So all adagio means is that I think if I might be mistaken here, it's the speed of the music, and I thought it was Bach, but looking at the credits, uh, obviously it wasn't a Bach piece. Um, but there's that that one thing. It starts up, you know, when he's going to the 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 convenience store, and it goes through the fire and through the gun moment at the police station, and then but Lonergan is playing this. What I thought I think is a pretty well known adagio that that whole time, uh, and. It, you know, playing it not necessarily subtly, which I, I was okay with. No, uh, it's not subtle at all. It's right on top of it. Yeah. And I, and I know that's on purpose. Um, and what was weird for me is that I just had seen, uh, before going to see this, within the last week, I'd seen a movie called Certain Women, which I hope you guys will see, um, which 
doesn't use music in this way. So watching the way music is used in this or listening to the way music is used in this was, was overwhelming to me, especially in the scenes that you're talking about. And I didn't know if it was because the music is done by somebody named Leslie Barber, who also did the music for You Can Count On Me. Um, but I didn't know if, if that, this was a piece that you, and I didn't know what you meant by adagio. So I didn't know if this was an, an already existing piece of music uh, yeah, yeah, he, it's all, all he, he mixes are, it yeah. so loud. Yeah, it's so loudly mixed through all of that sequence, which I think, you know, it makes a huge, huge emotional impact, but not in the way that modern scores normally do, where they're telling you what to feel. I think it's on purpose in, in more of a liturgical sense, as you would say, Tom. Well, I I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that Kenneth Lonergan has. Uh, religious roots and at least vestiges or connections to them, and I, I think ah. it's you know there's a reason he probably played the priest, and you can count on me. Uh, certainly, his movies are ab- about characters who are struggling with what would no- you know r- issues that normally religion would would, would help you through. And, like you know, Legion. What, what do you do in a world where children are allowed to to die that way? Um, so I, I'm just I, my guess is that he does have a background in knowing these pieces in maybe a, a religious context hmm. and he likes them and wants to use them I, I don't know uh the the little chanty bits i i didn't like nearly as much as the adagio thing so i was like well okay lonergan you like this fine this is what you want me to listen to i would have chosen something different but that's fine it's your movie it's your anti-chanty bits there's all that oh, yeah yeah you're right all that that little kids choir or whatever it was that was going um that would start in and i yeah, mm. I'm okay with it. I'm not. It's just again, it's not what the characters would listen to. It's right. Interesting, <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about the religious stuff because I forgot the fact that Casey Affleck has that moment where he where he's talking to Patrick. Yeah, Christian. Yeah. It's like you know we're Christians, right? Yeah. You know Catholics are Christians. You know that, right? And and I really kind of liked that little moment. Um, and also, you know, talking about uh, the body not being him. Um, you know, the, the service being there in that church, but still, uh, you know, but I really, I'm glad that you brought that up again, Tom, you know, I kind of forgot that the, the party played, uh, was the, uh, was the priest. Which what I loved about it. And you can count on me is that it wasn't a clown part. I mean, it wasn't a, an example, you know, that the religious answers didn't really help her in what she was looking for, but Lonergan played it respectfully, like he wasn't playing it as a joke, uh, and he was playing the priest as, as a very human, effective character. I loved him, and you can count on me. Even though it's, he delivers one of the funniest lines in the movie for me, it's the, that, well, it's a sin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I also like to think, and this is just in my head, that that was Matthew Broderick's character from You Can Count On Me. Yeah, like, I was thinking the same thing, actually. <laughs> Although uh, one of the reasons that I kind of snuck in, and I and I kind of agree with you, I'm not sure it's going to last. And uh, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of reserve the right to also kind of flip flop or work with this. But I, I like the way he was used in You Can Count On Me more than he was used here. He just felt like stunt casting here. Lonergan himself, right, right. No, 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 mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick. Oh, Matthew Broderick, right, right. I didn't, uh, like, I didn't yeah. like him in this. He felt smarmy and weird. Yeah, again, you're right, because he just had so many, like, great faces that we'd never seen before. Like the Dr. Bethany, for instance. Like, just right. bold choices like right. that with people right. who really popped. 
and then we get the uh, celebrity and then the cameo director appearance. I'm, I'm with you there, Dingus. Kelly Wand, what? You're, you're going to defend a little uh, Matthew Broderick taking a couple of days to show up on the set? I guess not. I forgot about the other one. <laughs> Everybody in my theater and uh, where uh, where we went to see the, the the movie the first time is this little theater that is almost entirely and it was packed. The place was packed, but it's all people. You know, I'm not a young guy, but these people are 15 years older than me. Almost everybody in the yeah, theater was. And insane. when Matthew Broderick showed up, the whole place was like, <gasps> they, they, they all gasped. It was fun. Like they were surprised or delighted? What was their gasp? Yeah, was what like, was that? Oh, we know this guy. It was like, we can, we, we know who that is. It felt like, oh. But he's our like, generation, not theirs. I know, but still, they uh, they knew who that guy was. They got it excited. Was like, oh, cause he's it was, he, was, he was a distraction. I bet they didn't do that to Gretchen Mall. No, they did uh, not do that. But but it was funny. There was there's a guy two seats down from me uh, who was talking for a lot of the movie. Just he did not know what was going on. Poor guy. Um, yeah. One of the things I love about this movie, and one of the things I love about Kenneth Lonergan's writing, is that he doesn't make relationships obvious. You have to kind of figure it out. Yeah, he's going right. to let you figure it out. Like that hospital scene where where uh, um, where Lee shows up. I don't know who who George is. Is it George? Yeah, I don't know George. who the nurse is. I'm not sure if they're all related. I don't, I don't know how long these people have the been usual together. Doctor. Is George like his, his other brother or his father? I don't know. And even when in that earlier scene with in the hospital bed where Gretchen Mall is holding that older guy's hand, I'm like, I'm not quite sure who's, but Kenneth Lonergan like lets you figure it out. He doesn't, he's not going to write a script where he's like, well, look, you know, I'm your I'm your brother's coworker, and I'm telling you this. <laughs> he doesn't do that kind of thing. As your brother's best friend, I think we should do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but the guy two seats down from me is like uh, when when um, oh my gosh when Lee is kicking every when Lee has to kick everybody out of the house because right. Randy's right. like it's two a.m. get all, get all your friends out of here. Um, the guy leans over to the woman he's with, who I assume is his wife, and he goes, "That that's his brother's wife." And like no, that's not his brother's wife. And he does. He was saying something. Other, who are those kids? Why is he with him? And she and she has to sort of manage his expectation of who the, what the relationships are in this movie going forward. And I just kind of loved listening to the two of these people. Usually that kind of thing would annoy me, but I just loved hearing that guy go. That's his brother's wife. No, it's not his brother's wife. Stop it. Kelly, one your audience had a, a similar lack of understanding. Yeah, we got an old man who didn't know it was a flashback, and his wife had to explain it to him. So in both cases, it was the husband who was dumb. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and grandma not... had to pick up the pieces. You know, I blame Lonergan for not giving us a little title card that said, you know, three years earlier. We really need that kind of thing, don't we? That's like, come on, Lonergan, help us out. Not... Work with us. And then it's a red herring, and it's like not three years early. I mean, it really is. It's 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 just a great way to to capture his state of mind. You know, reminiscing mm-hmm. upon the hearing of his 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 brother's death, remembering these moments, and he's, you know, he doesn't do the like camera goes out of focus and then into focus, and here's the flashback. Right, right. Uh, it's just you know this this is an instantaneous thing that appears in his mind, and he's just going to cut right to it, and we'll catch up eventually. You know, we'll figure it out after a scene or so. It also makes me want to watch like Lost Highway with old people. And just <laughs> listen to him. Go, Wait, which the dream? What's with the the witch painting? There's this there's this great shot during that long drive up um, when Casey Affleck is driving up north, or uh, when he's on 
on the highway, and all of a sudden it's just a flash of him sitting on the boat in his yellow T-shirt, and then a flashback to him in the car. Uh, and I just love those little moments that, and you, and you, Tom, you you said it perfectly when you said generous, uh, because I think that those little moments, those little flashes of memory that he has without like broadcasting that this is a flashback and letting yeah. us figure it out is one of the things I just freaking love about this movie. How do we feel about the dream sequence? That was a dream. You With mean the little girls saying, "Your daddy, I'm burning." Yeah, yeah. I, li- I saw it as their ghost saving him because it's he's doing it again. <laughs> the saving him from the, the 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 sauce burning on the oven. Yeah, dude, <laughs> remember? So that's what this movie is about. It's about a supernatural intervention who saves a man from from burning a fire. <laughs> or his down a conscience, <laughs> his body's trained itself to. This will make him wake up because it'll freak him out. So it's like a. Defense. So she, they're base, they're basically his female Tyler Durden's kind of. <laughs> yeah, there's midichlorians. <laughs> Boy, that creeped me out. The way she says like, the thing about fire mm-hmm. creeped me out. I don't. I can't think of any anything Burn similar kids. in Lonergan's other two movies. No. Burn kid talks in dream stuff. But, yeah. but I. But I think for me that's what works for. I can't beat it. I mean, do you guys have anything else to say about that? I can't beat it thing because I. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. They, I can't beat it. Well, it's. You know, it made me think there. It's sort of like the. It reminded me of I can take care of you in loving. It reminded me mm. of yeah, you know yeah, yeah, we yeah. always used to say to each other as kids, and you can count on me. Where they then do not say you can count on me, but that's what they're talking about. Like it reminds me of like Lonergan writes. And I, don't, I, I don't. I guess that's one of the distinct things about Margaret is I don't recall there being any single bit in Margaret where it's like this is the point of the movie. Lonergan writes where it all comes to this sort of perfect little dramatically written peak and not dramatic in the sense of melodramatic but just in the sense of a crafted story about a heightened thing happening to someone and it comes to this perfect little verbal peak with uh i can't beat it or with you know we used to say to each other as kids or with i can take care of you uh you know i love that lonergan writes like that i mean it's 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 kind of playwright writing in a way Uh, yeah I love that you brought up that loving moment because the moment where um, where Lee breaks down in uh, – I can't remember George's wife's name, but he kind of breaks yeah, down yeah. in her arms and she's like, I'm going to go get you some ice now. Um, it reminded me exactly of that moment in loving. Well, it's not a carefully calculated – like he doesn't break down in George's arms. He doesn't break down – like it's 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 an ancillary character uh, and it's it's – you know, it's not a super staged. Here's where he has his come to Jesus moment. It's just, you know, he's been through a tough time, and here's a woman's arms around him, and he's going to break down now. And she's uncomfortable with it. I, yeah, 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 exactly. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I like when he goes. Uh, the doctor's telling him that his that his brother sings all. This is horseshit. Like he thinks about it for a second, and then he like like, well, no, I'm being dumb. Yeah. Oh, you mean during that conversation? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, like he, it's like a long minute where he just stares into space. And yeah. He goes, this is horseshit. Yeah. And then he backs, pedals. It's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that's another of those long, sustained moments. Right. Uh, I would like to introduce a new game, and that game is who, on this podcast, which one of us is which member of the band Stentorian? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the drummer. No, I think Dingus is Otto. What? Oh, no, no, you're right, Kelly. Kelly, you're auto. Right, I even have this written down. Dingus is the is the chick singing. He is the Trek nerd, though. 
Wouldn't that be Otto the drummer, though? That's what I'm saying. No, but you're Otto. You have to be the one who's either always ahead or always behind. You're the one screwing up the band. Mm. Uh, Dingus is the chick. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I fit in, but uh, I I think that that's that's kind of a given. Dingus is is, uh, the chick. Kelly Wand, you're Otto. You're the mom. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm the mom. I'm just checking in. Good point. Kelly Wand, you called it. Yeah. (laughs) So that's this week's issue, edition of Who's Who in Stentorian. Hmm. And this will be a recurring game we can play. We haven't seen Michelle Williams not sad since Dick. Wow, you, you know yeah. that's uh, that's funny, but that's also kind of poignant. Kelly Wand, you're welcome. <laughs> so, what do you guys think of Michelle Williams in this? Uh, she's sad. She's condensing. I mean, what do you think of her performance? Um, it reminded me of a Blue Valentine performance. I don't know. I well, it, it certainly calls that to mind. I mean, that that scene uh, when he comes home from fishing definitely has that that feel to it. I think. It's you know, she's on, she's been home sick all week. I mean, all day, and he's been out fishing and drinking. Uh, he picks up the kids. He's the fun dad coming home. He, he's kind of dressed in that same sort of way that Ryan Gosling was dressed, like in a, as a worker. Um, climbing into bed with her, being the fun dude. So there's definitely some Blue Valentine stuff there. I'm you, assuming it's deliberate. How do you feel? How you? How do you feel about that that scene where they run into each other, like as she's the lunch scene, where she's asking him to lunch? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, it's good because he's he's trying to to not do it. Um. But he's kind of – they're sort of talking to each other for the first time in many years, and that mm-hmm. can, I think that that's expressed well in their body language. Like neither of them really anticipated that meeting. Like it could be spur of the moment for her. I don't well, know. It seems like she's been preparing it for for a while. I, yeah. just, I just didn't know what you thought about her in this movie, she, if you thought she was the appropriate for the part. Uh, and she's not inappropriate. But she's not um, – it's not really about her. She's kind of like a functionary. That's what's interesting to me about the movie is like I like – I think I like Margaret better. But there's a lot going on in Margaret, a lot of different characters. And in this, it's mostly a Casey Affleck's character movie. Mm-hmm. And everything sort of orbits around him. And I think she served her purpose. <laughs> I mean that's her last scene if I remember right. So it ends – on that note, I really liked the phone call actually when she's on the phone and she says she's gonna she's pregnant. Oh, I okay. That was really good. That was my favorite Michelle Williams part. There, it's certainly judicious use of her. Uh, I, I I wonder if when she's cast, if Lonergan had any temptation to shoot more of the stuff that is alluded to. Like we skip past all of the aftermath of the. You know, I like that. I, I do too, and I like that. But I, I wonder, with someone of Michelle Williams' caliber, was there a temptation to actually shoot some of that, or, or uh, you know, she's—I I thought she was amazing. It's like I love her, and I think that part of why I love her: a, she's very good, but in, in an odd way, she comes with this kind of built-in tragedy as a character, you know, yeah. with, with regard to uh, her and Heath Ledger, and uh, there's. I, even if I'm not consciously thinking that, I just kind of associate her with someone who's experienced a, a tragedy and is struggling with grief. Uh, 
so I, I thought she was perfect for this, and I, I like that he uh, – w- we have to infer a lot about what went on between them, and we do that with the phone call that Kelly mentioned, which is a great bit as well, uh, for how he reacts when he finds out that she's pregnant. Um, it made me think, although this is a much lighter example, there's that great bit at the end of Sideways where Paul Giamatti runs into his ex – and she says that she is pregnant, you know, that she's remarried. And um, Alexander Payne told him, told Giamatti when shooting it, uh, the, you know, they did it a few times, and then Payne came to him and said, "Okay, do the whole scene, but but smile the entire time. You know, don't let go of your smile." And and he's doing it. It's a very painful thing to, for him to hear, and it, it's a great moment seeing Paul Giamatti work with this other feigning actress. Happiness. Yeah, feigning happiness when he knows he can't. Like it's just it's only in the smile. It doesn't exist anywhere else in his performance, and it's this. Weird, great moment. So seeing Casey Affleck field that phone call reminded me of that scene, yeah. uh, and it's a great phone call. Uh, the theater where I saw this, the Arclight here in Los Angeles, had an odd – it's kind of metallic. It wasn't even a cardboard stand-up. It was a metallic display with uh, just an excerpt from what must have been the shooting script for that scene hmm. with a picture of Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams. Yeah, so it's a spoiler. Uh, I, I I know, and it even had like a hashtag, like something like uh, uh, you know Manchester at the ArcLight or, or whatever. But it, it was a little marketing thing that had an excerpt of the shooting script of that scene, which I find kind of ironic because watching that scene, I didn't get the sense that there was a shooting script. Like they're yeah. both trying to talk over each other, and they're mm-hmm. both just so inarticulate because they're struggling with these feelings having to emerge that they've they've covered up and not had to acknowledge or verbalize for so long uh a lot of the scene is just someone saying no 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 or mm-hmm. you know that that's not like conventional dialogue uh awkward conversations movie yeah awkward conversations that uh, yeah Fun. nobody knows quite what to say or how to say it yeah like uh, the so uh, yeah affected. i yeah i just love her do you ask because you had some reservations about her no no um and, my friend Alexandra had reservations about her, um, and I and I started thinking about the things that I've seen her in, um, and the way she's uh, been used in movies of late, and thinking about like is she starting just to be cast as this sort of semi cold and control uh, character, but there, there are so many little things that she does that uh, that she does automatically and. Uh, in establishing a relationship um, with Casey Affleck, that that kind of counteracts that, because um, I mean she, you know, the way she was in in Blue Blue Valentine, having to be the one that's in control, and when the guy is this doofus kind of, um, and a couple other things I've seen her in, um, but there, there's just a couple of great little moments where where she just she just she has this ability to like, like, like flicking a um, a lighter just immediately bring a flame into a scene, like like that moment after. Did you bring up Jupiter? Did you say Jupiter? <laughs> <laughs> and it just it's all automatically. It's like oh my gosh, you, I understand what's going on between the two of you. Even that that scene where she's sick in bed and and she's kind of a little bit playful with him, but she's sick and she's tired and. 
her mom's just been here, and she's just dealing with so many things, and Michelle Williams is just able to convey so many of those things across the spectrum of emotions, and she can do it automatically. Uh, it see, I mean, automatically is, is being unfair, because uh, that, uh, that, that gives the idea that she's not working at it, and I know it takes a lot of work Relative to do that. Um, and I, I, I really loved her in this, and then that scene, that particular scene, and I'm surprised that there's a stand-up of that scene where they're where they run into each other with some of the script there uh, because you're right Tom it does just very much have this feeling of 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 almost an acting exercise like you yeah. want him to stay and he wants and he needs right. to escape <laughs> right I mean right. go and and they do it expertly uh, and and so much is revealed so much is revealed there where she's where she's telling him you can't just die and he says there's nothing there I mean it is I, I can't I can't tell you. Uh, I mean, both times I was just bawling like a baby <laughs> during that scene. Um, and again, this is sort of in contrast to another movie I saw recently that I hope you guys will see soon. But this just made me ball. That that whole you can't just die. You're not allowed to just die. And he's like, there's nothing there. And and her telling him that she loves him. Everything that goes on in that scene. It's an amazing scene, and it feels absolutely like it's not scripted like it's just the two of them stumbling over each other uh in a very mike lee kind of way like you said earlier tom and i didn't even think of that earlier i didn't even i didn't think about that before you said it dingus are you ready for several years of the kind of interplay that lucas hedges and casey affleck enjoyed because your son is 12 years old and i couldn't help but watch those scenes and think yeah in about four years dingus is going to have little moments like that Oh God! I like Star Trek. <laughs> no, I can't believe we're talking. He already has moments like that Star every Trek day. Right now. That's every day at our house, Kelly Wand. Mutar Nebula. Whereas Kelly Wand, I, what did you think of the scene where Casey Affleck is uh, with Jill's mom? There, how did you feel about that that awesome date that they had? Mm. It had a happy ending. One, two, three. Not only you and me got one eighty. On that note, I could talk about this for a while. I mean, there's just so much to be said. What, this upcoming topic? Yes, especially this topic. I've been just champing at a bit to get away from talking about that movie. Oh, so tedious. Yeah. To talk about this week's 3x3. Three three. Maybe this tonight's movie will be on your 3x3. Three three. Kelly Wan, have you been looking at my notes? can't read that. I can barely read it. <laughs> Kelly Wad, what is this week's 3x3? I'm very excited because it's the three best times you were converted into becoming an actor. <laughs> That's what you would have some of us believe last week, but what... what? guess I misexpressed myself. <laughs> to paraphrase. What was the question? What's the uh, topic? Well, yeah, what is the topic? Because the, the listeners will have had to have known. Boy, how's that for uh, wow, verbal that tenses? Amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's um, the three best uh, examples of a movie or actor. Wait, no, it's the three best movies. Take two. Or an actor or director that you hated, you suddenly liked based on something in it. Or it. Right? Did he use the word hated before? What did I say this time? I don't know, because one of mine I might have to change uh, dynamically because I didn't hate this person before. 
Did he say hate? Oh, yeah. Did you, are yours dingus people that you hated before? Well, people that I didn't like before, I was converted into liking them because of the movie I saw. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. What did I say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe put myself in jail for one of mine, Kelly Wand. Can you self-arrest in a 3x3? Three three? Um, yeah. Okay. That might happen. It's encouraged. Well, Dingus, you are going first because you're introducing next week's topic. So what is your third example of what whatever Kelly just said? All right. So um, my third example of what Kelly Wand uh, was talking about, I hope I'm getting this right, um, is how uh, I really came to like Kristen Stewart in watching Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's terrible in that. Oh, I don't believe she is. I think she's perfect in it. And we talked about this. Uh, get a load from Kelly Wand. Jesus. This is happening? Yeah, this is actually happening. And you can just go back and listen to our Snow White and the Huntsman podcast to hear me have to go through defending why I think that she's perfect for that role and perfect in juxtaposition to, uh, what's her name? Kara Hayward. Is that who's? Charlize Theron's. Oh, that's right, Charlize Theron. Um, I, I, I loved, I loved her in that, in that movie, and I thought she was really, really good in it. Uh, and I just, again, um, I just saw her in another movie, and I really feel like, uh, regardless of the fact that she was in those teenage vampire movies, and she will probably forever be branded by being in them, um, uh, this is the movie, Snow White and the Huntsman, that made me go, okay, um, I'll pay attention to you. You're, I think you're pretty good in this. And then seeing her in the movie I just saw her in, uh, I just think she's really, I think she's, I think she's got some firepower. Uh, and that's the movie that made me, that converted me to thinking, all right, she's not just a, a goofball who's in a teenage vampire movie, but she's actually got some chops. Kelly Wan, to be fair to Dingus, there's someone else from that Teenage Vampire movie who might qualify for this as well, about whom I would have felt the same way that I feel about Dingus saying this about Kristen Stewart. Uh, Thor? Taylor Lautner. Taylor uh, Lautner. Yeah. Who's he? One of the gremlins? <laughs> He's the lone gunman. That was one of the, that was the movie the that converted me to hunting. I mean, Snow White and the Huntsman or uh, Breaking Dawn? What's breaking down? <laughs> Which part? Gotcha. Okay. Uh, my third example of what Kelly Wan is talking about, and I didn't hate this guy before, but I just didn't have any consideration for him in, as a serious performer in any way. I thought he was kind of a joke, a successful joke, to be sure, but a joke with no substance. And then I saw him in a movie where he basically has the clown part, and the movie is actually pretty good. But he – it was – I was just – so taken aback by how good he was in this movie as an actor uh, playing this really kind of dark humor. And it's a fellow named Dwayne Johnson in a movie called Pain and Gain. Oh, you know what? Wait, who? <laughs> the, excuse me, The Rock. <laughs> okay. Wait, Dwayne Johnson's your pick for Pain and Gain? Well, I didn't – Pain and Gain is what I saw where I was like, you know, this guy is really good. And then from that, eventually this moment happened that is – I, we all know about now, or I was having a conversation with someone about who is the Harrison Ford of today, and I ventured Dwayne Johnson's name. But that was after, I think, having seen Pain and Gain, because after seeing him in Pain and Gain, I was like, wow, this guy's really good. He's just like uh, Indiana Jones in this movie. <laughs> Pain and Gain, do, have you guys seen Pain and Gain? Am I the only one who's seen it? Uh, did a podcast. podcast about it, you bastard. 
You guys yeah, did the podcast on it. I and it's the, my number two. I sat on the sidelines and went, duh. Wait, what? Why did you go, duh? Because you didn't I, see it? I didn't get to see it for various oh, weird reasons. I do remember that. So that wasn't even really a podcast. It didn't count. It was me and but Kelly talking about pain and gain. Hmm. And you were there, yeah. Yeah. So wait, that's your number two choice? Yeah, but for Michael Bay. <laughs> I'm not giving credit to Dwayne Johnson. I'm giving credit that Michael Bay told Dwayne Johnson to go. All right, you know, act like you're doing some. You're really enjoying that barbecue. Yeah, because Michael Bay, scene. he's a real actor's director. I think. I'm just saying he's never been funny before. Like he's never done a joke or that didn't just make me roll my eyes. Oh, Michael Bay, you mean? Right, yeah. Right. But he left that in the movie, and then he and then there's that subtitle. He went. This really happened. Uh, there are no jokes in Armageddon. There's no good ones. Hold on. What's funny go. in Armageddon? You sound pretty cocky about it. Uh, I just think world's best deep core drillers in and of itself is funny. <sighs> Come on, that's ridiculous that there is that's such a thing. That's from the porn version. <laughs> no, that's that's from the Criterion Collection edition of mm. Armageddon, which exists for a reason because it's worthy of the Criterion Collection. Is this Laserdisc a format that's no longer supported? Nope. You can get it on Blu-ray. I'm not interested. Think of that. So, uh, so sure. painting it. So, my, have you? Did you see the Michael Bay uh, zombies in Benghazi movie? Oh, mm-hmm. Thirteen Days. Yeah, yeah, Thirteen Days. Uh, no, but it's a it's a sequel to the Kevin Costner Thirteen Days, right? <laughs> I guess you could look at it that way in terms of like foreign policy, yeah. infamous foreign policy moments. Sure, everything takes that long. Yeah. yeah. Uh. It, it's it, it's not bad. I mean, I would say it's good. It's certainly glib. Uh, that did you poor. Deepwater Horizon. Pardon. Did no. Did Peter you? Peter Berg did Deepwater Horizon, which you guys should see. Deepwater Horizon. Uh, no, it's Peter Berg at, at I would say at his best. Um, not his best, but you know, wow. definitely at the top of his game. It's Peter Berg doing. You know, it's the same Peter Berg that gave us the runaround with Dwayne Johnson. Run down. Jesus. Run down. Shoot. The reach around. It's so <laughs> Uh, but that's right. Even after the runner run around, uh, <laughs> the reach around, See? you guys are screaming at the rundown. You Every guys, Freudian slip means something. <laughs> so even that, like Dwayne Johns is like, okay, yeah, this guy's funny, he's charming, whatever. But Pain and Gain, I was like, oh, okay, he's really good. Uh, so that, that was my number three pick. And so Kelly Wand, you appreciated Pain and Gain for from Michael Bay. Yeah. Well, he's the bigger leap too. Like you're picking someone you already like, so it's just kind of. That's why I'm I'm gonna go ahead and put myself in jail, but I'm gonna let myself out for my numbers one and two, if that's okay. Wait, you didn't even do the topic. What are you talking about? This is that's not someone you dislike. That's why I'm in jail, Kelly. One, I'm looking at you now through bars. So you just went, hmm. What can I do for pain and gain and Dwayne Johnson? Oh, I know this topic that has nothing to do with what. <laughs> no, because I didn't, oh, Kelly. You know what? Get in the get in the cell with me here. You're also. What am I in the cell for? I didn't do what you just did. What am I in the cell? For? What am I in the cell for? Listen, look. When I whine, it's cool. <laughs> well, Kelly, speaking of you whining, what's your third pick for whatever your topic is supposed to be that somehow involves hatred? <sighs> Thank God, my number two's done already. Um, but, <laughs> oh, I wanted to say, so you didn't see Thirteen Days, right? The, the Benghazi um, thing. No, should I? You, uh, you were iffy. No, no, because I, I, I think it's good if you look at it as the, – the parts of it that are good are the zombie action movie parts where uh, rebels are just swarming uh, across an like open Black field Hawk and getting Down shot. Rebels. Exactly, like Black Hawk Down action movie version. Black Hawk Down is what World War Z I thought was going to be. Uh, Wait, Black what? Hawk Down is what you thought well, – uh, okay. Like a big battle. 
like I a thought little, you know, World War Z war. was going to be a global Mogadishu. This this is terrible. <laughs> Wait, what was number? What was your number two? Kelly Wands was a pain and gain for Michael Bay. Michael Bay, yeah. yeah Me and Tom, and- Tom missed, uh, destroyed the topic. Dingus, <sighs> you heard it happen, and you're being awful coy about yes, agreeing. I, know, I agree. Shouldn't be. So, okay. I'm going to redeem myself. You'll see. I got places to go with this. But first, what is your number three pick for whatever this? Unless this is like a theme and pain and gains, like it. Oh, and then Wahlberg. Yeah, they're all they're all. And then, I hated him. And then Tony Shalhoub is my. And number. I like weights. Tony Shalhoub is kind of funny in that movie. That's a good idea. Yeah, and I hate it. Tony Shalhoub. I never thought he was good before. Yeah, what a hack. Remember they run him over and he uh, just Bluff. gets annoyed. Bluff Tony. <laughs> Um, my number three is Julia Roberts for saying the line in response to the line, oh, I kissed you. And then she goes, what are you, 12? Is that closer? Yeah. Oh, that's good, Kelly Wand. I never gave a shit about Julia Roberts, but then when I saw her on that, I went, oh, wait, she's almost the best in this. Isn't Aaron Brockovich good, though? Come on. I just yeah. don't – she never seems – I don't she's so know. sassy in Aaron Brockovich. Come on. No, but she's. I don't like. I like her playing like a villain. Like I liked her in uh, Confessions sure. of a Dangerous Mind too, and in uh, Hook. <laughs> Tinkerbell <laughs> is a villain. You're right. I mean, that's fair enough. Well, she was supposed to be really hell to work with on that set. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, that's her ner- reputation. So, but, are you admitting that you've seen Dingus? Have you seen Hook? No. Yeah, nobody. Kelly, are you admitting that you have seen Hook? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's Rubio. Dingus and I know better. We have we've never bothered to see Hook. It took it took Dingus saw it. Dingus, tell the truth. Have you seen Hook? Yes. Now I'm gonna say yes. See? Well now I don't know what to make up in Kelly Wands here, right? Okay, but I haven't seen by the way. I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like your closer pick though. That's that is good. Because yeah. you think, oh god, Julia Roberts. There's all these these cool actors, and oh, Julia Roberts. Yeah. But she's like, yeah, she she fits fine. Who else is in Closer? I know Clive, Clive Owen. Owen. Who else? And Natalie. Natalie Portman. Oh yeah, no, right, right. That's a very good Natalie Portman performance, right? Yeah. Natalie Portman. Super evil, except Jude Law's trying to be evil, but he's like the dumbest at it. Right. Like, I, that's he's right. super good at it, and like just keeps <laughs> fucking everybody over. And Julia Roberts is really good at it too. That's the thing. She's one of the. She's kind of the coolest of the four. Yeah. Like she kind of wins. Really? Eh. Right. She gets what she wants in that movie, and she's mean. <laughs> and that's the I first like that. time you really liked her. Yeah, she's good at it. She says. My thing is, do you do you like have. Like, is that part of, like, were you really into Pretty Woman and stuff? Like, have you been a, a Julia Roberts fan for a while? I, I, I've always, I've always thought she was really good. Uh, I'm, I don't care here, for, I don't too. care for Pretty Woman as a movie, but Ooh. I've always thought she was really good. I don't, that, she actually broke one of her fingers in that scene where they closed the box on it. That's, that's going dark, Kelly. Mm. That's, yeah. What do you mean? So, we're, they close a box on it. Oh. Remember Richard Gere as, uh, she goes shopping? Oh, okay, all right. That was the scene she got the Oscar for. Okay. Yeah. It was her color of money. You can... <laughs> Did you say it was her color of money? Yeah. Okay. It's like a sequel to the Paul Newman, Pretty Woman. What's the movie where she rides on a moped with Tom Hanks? 
Larry Crown affair. <laughs> Very nice, Kelly Wand. One of those. That's a good one because he goes to community college, and the only way to get there is by moped. You can't drive a car. What's the one where he has to sleep in an airport? Castaway. <laughs> Very good. Kelly, I love that you're always there for me when I have See? questions. I just know his whole thing, yeah. this whole oeuvre. Dingus, what is your second example of hatred turned to non-hatred? All right, that would be Punch Drunk Love. This is a uh, good one. Oh, See? oh for Sandler, Tom. right? Not, not a Look, that's correct. For Adam Sandler, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is his number three. Dingus is correct in saying what he's saying, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I couldn't stand Adam Sandler uh, up until this point. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, we used to have kind of a, a joke in my previous household. Uh, my ex-wife really loved Adam Sandler movies, and she would go with my writing partner at that time, uh, who loved Adam Sandler. Both of them loved it, and I'm like, good, you guys can go do that. You take the bullet on those things for me. I can't stand any of those things. Uh, I couldn't get any of the... Uh, Saturday Night Live things that he was doing with all of his jokes seemed to be one note. I didn't get any of the, any of the appeal whatsoever. Um, and Punch Drunk Love was just a transformative movie for me. It was, it was this movie I went to with, uh, a few people and I came out of that movie just feeling ecstatic. I, I can't even, I don't know. There, there are movies that you could just come out of, and there's no reason for you to feel that way, but you just feel so excited and so, so alive for whatever reason because the movie is so well done, uh, and because it just touches you on on whatever level. And Punch Drunk Love did did that for me. And Adam Sandler, um, I don't know that I, you know, I guess maybe, uh, I, I liked him in Funny People a lot, but, um, but Punch Drunk Love made and I kind of put this uh, on the director. Um, he, you know, uh, that's one of those things where you understand where uh, film is a director's medium um, because he likes he, challenges. Too. He shaped an amazing performance, and um, and I totally fell for Adam Sandler because of Punch Drunk Love. Hmm. See, Tom. Well, I don't. If he really fell for Adam Sandler, he would have watched Jack and Jill like I did. That's the thing. I was going to try to stick to a theme where it was like someone that you liked thereafter. Like, oh, now all this oh. stuff. Ah, and throw then, him in jail with me, Kelly Wan. Can well, you think um, it's be thrown in jail? Tom, yeah, your crime is jail. I mean, but I, I, I can't continue liking all of the crap he does after the fact. That's what I'm saying. I but I really, I really appreciated what he did there, and I, and I, and I was converted to him. Like, yeah, this guy can do that. But when you say you were converted to him, what else then did you like him in? Because it's a weird one-off for me, and I'm I'm not trying to get you thrown in jail, Dingus, and I I, I love that pick because I'm with you there. But like I guess funny people, but that and funny people are the only – because I've seen Jack and Jill. I've seen, and so have you, parts of Grown Ups too. I watched I, – I saw him in that horrible Tom McCarthy thing, The Cobbler, where he goes on a date with his mom. Uh I, I saw him at something recently with uh, David Spade where they play like CIA agents or whatever that was on Netflix. Run around. <laughs> something like that. The, the thing is, I, I don't think I, – I mean I, I, I know what you're saying, Tom, and I, and I agree. Looking at the rest of his 
this crap oeuvre. I mean, I don't want to see. I don't. I don't want to watch any of those movies. But uh, that that doesn't um, change the idea of what conversion is, because I, you know, you know, somebody can be converted to Christianity and then decide to leave the religion later on. It doesn't mean they weren't a convert at some point. So yeah, uh, I was converted to love Adam Sandler for a time, and that was the time. I just feel you should be open to maybe just watching Jack and Jill on the off chance that maybe it works for you. I He's appreciate the fact that you watched it, and uh, I would I think I will just watch Eight Crazy Nights and Mr. Deeds instead. How do you feel about Al Pacino? You want to see Pacino really stretching himself? Jack and Jill, check it out. <laughs> uh, My number two pick for this topic, Kelly Wand, and I think now I'm doing it correctly, finally – uh, 21 and Over is a movie from the writers of The Hangover. Their names uh, are – I never remember this. I had to write it down. John Lucas and Scott Moore. Uh, they did The Hangover movies, which – okay, whatever. The first one, yeah, cute. Once they started redoing it, whatever. Then they did a movie called 21 and Over, which is basically The Hangover but with kids. And one of the kids is a young fellow named Miles Teller who I had previously only known as being incredibly annoying uh, – in other movies, like uh, uh, the one with um, Shailene Woodley, where oh, Aust- Spectacular Now or something like that. Oh, right. I forget what it is. Anyway, Miles Teller, very annoying, but then seeing, I think it was after it had come out, too. Like, I didn't see this in the theatrical release. Long after it had come out, I saw 21 and Over, and Miles Teller is so good in that. He's like a young Vince Vaughn in Swingers, just as this nattering, insecure, comic relief character. And he's just so natural. Um, he's money. He is money, baby. Absolutely. And 21 and Over, I think, is, is legitimately good. Like, I like 21. 21 and Over also kind of brought me around to John Lucas and Scott Moore, which is why I'm super excited about next week's movie, by the way. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons. Uh, so I was a Miles Teller fan, but like Dingus, I, I recently watched War Dogs with him and Jonah Hill, and uh, I'm done with both of them. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them. Really? Are, yeah, they're they're um, they're they're dead to me. Oh my! Wow. Yeah. It War only Dogs. Takes, War Dogs is really tough. <laughs> it only takes one movie to make a streak or break a streak. Oh, it's a bitter pill to swallow that War Dogs. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, did did one of us here see that boxing Miles Teller boxing movie? Southpaw. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly Wand, I like you and you're here to help me out with some trivia questions. So helpful. I'm trying to help you remember things. It's a team effort. Well, Kelly Wand, we know that your number two pick is Michael Bay for Armageddon. He's hilarious. Stingus, let's then go to your number one pick of hatred converted to love. By the way, Kelly Wand, am I out of jail now for my Miles Teller pick? Did I do it right? Um, he's the actor that you're choosing. But Correct. you really want to do the writers. I didn't. No, no, no. I just think they deserve a shout out because they wrote the movie we're seeing next week, which is uh, one of the reasons I'm looking forward to seeing it. Is the director of 21 and Over someone else that you despised? I think they cherished? directed it. They, okay. they, they wrote it and directed it. They were like, hey, we got hangover cachet. Let us direct our own script next time, dudes. And the people are like, OK, you can have these young unknown kids. Go shoot it. You know, you don't have much of a budget. Uh, just go get this in the can and then leave us alone. Hmm. I love getting the can. <laughs> I mean, whose turn is it? It is time for Dingus. I just wanted to make sure I was out of jail so I could continue these proceedings. Yeah, good. One for two. The pro- oh, you know what the problem is? They wrote bad moms. Oh, uh, so they kind of broke even. At see the point. streak. One yeah. movie. 
Yeah, that's not good. In effect. But, okay, never mind. I don't want to spoil your number one, because yeah. I think I know it. Well, stand by for that, because first we get Dingus's number one example. Mm. Mm. Uh, all right. Um, this uh, I'm really happy with this pick. I'm really, really happy with this pick, especially by because of the way it uh, it came to me. It was totally a surprise. And I, I had uh, the Kristen Stewart and the Adam Sandler pretty early in the week, and I didn't know what to do with the third choice um, until uh, later in the week uh, after seeing my son's band concert and uh, a, talking about the band concert and then humming one of the songs that they played at the band concert in the car that all of a sudden it just snapped into focus. Um, do you guys remember uh, – you, you guys are about the same age as I am um, – do you guys remember going to see Die Hard in a movie theater? Yeah. I went to make fun of it. Why? Because it was right after Moonlighting. Bruce yeah. Willis action movie, lols. Right. I thought it'd be rich. And then I just spent most of the two hours going, oh, my God. Right. So, uh, Tom, do you remember guys. going to see Die Hard in a movie theater? Uh, well, unlike Kelly Wan, as a child, instead of watching TV, I read books. So I actually had no idea who Bruce Willis was. I, I had no preconceptions about the guy. I was just like, it's just going to be another kind of uh, Chuck uh, – what's that Woolery. guy? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Chuck Woolery. I know you read his books. <laughs> Chuck Woolery. It's going to be another sort of Jean-Claude Van Damme, Chuck Woolery action mm-hmm. movie. So I had, no, I had no expectations about Bruce Willis because I hadn't seen Moonlighting. Uh, so you read so it, books. So you read the Roderick Th- Thorpe book upon which uh I sequel to the detective base. i uh no i read good books no you read good i'm sorry did i say books i meant literature literature mm. <laughs> um, as as kelly one described i did not want to go see the heart at all um i i think i'd seen lethal weapon and really loved it i uh, had no interest in seeing this jerkwad uh bruce willis in it because he just seemed like such a smarmy ass and uh, Moonlighting was a, a show I think my parents watched. It was just this this total like, uh, it just terrible is you is is you ain't my baby kind of a show. Are these people going to get together or not? Kind of a thing. And I could not have been less interested in that. Uh, I did not want to watch that at all. And he just seemed like a total douchebag. Uh, and now he's in a movie. And I remember. I remember the night I went to see it. It was like the the only thing to see that night. It was the only thing I could go to see that night. Like, oh, fine, I'll go to see oh, Die Hard. Want it. I didn't want to see it. I thought Booby it was going to be terrible. I thought he was going to be just totally annoying, and maybe I would be able to hate watch it. Uh, and I totally – I mean, Die Hard to this day is one of my favorite action movies ever. And that won me over to him. I think he uh, – it, it was – it was a total gamble to have this guy be this action star in this movie. Uh, and he just, he knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And unlike the previous example that I gave, uh, that Tom kind of rightly called me out on, um, I have not stopped being a Bruce Willis fan. I've not liked everything he did. See, but it five. even carried through Hudson Hawk. I mean, I, I love Hudson Hawk in spite of the fact that many people think that it's this total, um, this total ego-driven thing that he did. I, I love the movie. 
I, I think he does a great job with it. I think he understands exactly where his sense of humor lands, and uh, and that's one of the things I love about Die Hard is is how it it blends his sense of humor with the action. And that movie totally won me over to this guy. Otherwise, that I did not want to see and could not stand. Um, so basically, it was just uh, you know my in my son's band concert this week they played Ode to Joy, and uh, in the car on the way home one day we were we were both humming Ode to Joy, um, and I can't hum Ode to Joy without thinking of Die Hard, without thinking of it as being the theme from Die Hard. And all of a sudden, as we were just humming, dun, 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 I suddenly went, oh my God, that's my number one. It was just so exciting. It was so exciting for me to, to, get, to get my number one pick dropped in my lap that way. It was great. Dingus, what's the best Bruce Willis performance? Die Hard. The best one is probably Moonrise Kingdom. What? I'm not sure I disagree. Why? What would you say, Kelly Wand? Uh, Death Becomes Her. Um... I just love how wonderfully sad and weird he is and he's pouring the beer. and I love him in Moonrise Kingdom. I'd still say Die Hard without I irony. Go, I, I think I would go 12 Monkeys. Mm. Ah, that's a good one. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely no, right. Kelly. Do you, no, I, I have my pick. Neither of you can take my pick. So no, I'm not going to take your pick. But okay. um, but uh, when that no, movie came out, and I forgot this, Tom. It, it, when that movie came out, I was like, this is one of the best performances of this year. And F. Brad Pitt's weird eye performance, Bruce Willis. And there's this moment where he's listening to the radio when they're in the car, and it, and it's just he has this heartbreaking look in his eyes. Then, Tom, you're absolutely right. The thing, though, about Moonrise Kingdom is I've seen him, and I've mentioned this before, in so many recent movies where it's just a paycheck and he's just showing up and he could not be hard to show any interest whatsoever. I heard five and things way lower budget than that. Uh, that I, you know, I think, oh God, he's just so full of himself. He thinks he's above this material, and uh, you know, he's red. But but then in Moonrise Kingdom, though, he is so. Like, like kind of humble and, and yeah. meek, and he lets himself be kind of small, and it's kind of cute. Yeah. Pulp Fiction over yeah. Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, but not Twelve Monkeys. Eh, I like that. Twelve one. Monkeys. You you get to keep that one, Tom. But that was the right. And he's one. in the whole movie. Yeah. Feels like more. It's a heartbreaking bites. performance. It's really well done. Yeah. As far as Bruce Willis vehicles go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number one pick for this topic. I'm pretty sure I'm doing this right, Kelly Wand. Mm. Uh, this guy I saw in, you know, he was in the Ocean's 11, 12, 13 movies as one of the, why is he in their movies? He was in a terrible movie called Lonesome Jim, where for whatever reason, Liv Tyler decides to hook up with him, and he plays a complete loser who is uninteresting and is boring to watch on screen. And then I see this guy, Casey Affleck, in Assassination of Jesse James, and I'm like, what? I love this guy. He's awesome. Jesus. And I have never gotten – so just listen to the rest of the podcast for uh, for the justifications for my pick. Why are you going Jesus? Because <laughs> we just uh, talked about that. You have to – But that is just... my number one pick Like I, because I hated him in Lonesome Jim. I thought it was so annoying and just hipster indie stuff. And what – he was basically the Scott Kahn. Scott Kahn was even in Oceans. Who was the other one in Oceans 11 who was like Casey Affleck? Who, oh, he's just somebody's brother. Why is he one – they just needed to get the number up to 11. Wasn't Scott Kahn um, or someone one Colin of them? Colin Farrell? Yeah. And weren't Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn always just kind of consigned to, okay, you guys are in these scenes while we – later on we're going to shoot with the other real actors. Yep. 
Yeah. Is Jeff Foxworthy one of them? Oh my god! No, what the hell? <laughs> Kelly Wood. Okay. I want to see yeah. your version of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> would, would Jeff Foxworthy have been the George Clooney in the? I league? want a red state. It. It's uh, <laughs> what's his name? The cable guy, Larry. <laughs> That's very nice. It's amazing mm. to look at Casey Affleck's. And I had totally forgotten that he was in. Uh, is it the killer inside me? Well, that that also. I mean, that was after and that. That's where, like, you can really see him as an actor playing yeah. a very different kind of character, Killer Inside Me, the Michael Winterbottom movie. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I, I meant to, and I didn't get around to it this week, but I really do want to go back and rewatch Lonesome Jim and see if, you know, do, like, how would I feel about him in Lonesome Jim? Like, when you really do convert on an actor and you go back and watch the movies where you didn't like them, do you now like them? I, mm. I don't know the answer to that. Right. Mm. It's case by case. I guess so, yeah. In this case, KC by KC. Mm, oh, see how clever I am, Kelly Wand? Let's see you top that with your number one pick. My number one. Hello? Yep. Oh. We are all waiting with bated breath. This is exciting because it kind of ties in with one of uh, yours, but not really. Uh, Dwayne but, Johnson coming up. No. See? And a lot. Oh, right. Magazine. He's so sexy. Who else was in the rundown? William Sean Scott Penn. See, uh, I can't never, I can never do his name right, but I predict we're going to hear about a, a movie that has four letters in the title, two of which are the same vowel. Oh, wait, <laughs> Iron Monk. <laughs> There's four letters in Iron Monk. Wait, you know, American Wedding has one, two, three. <laughs> no, Sean William Scott was. Uh, I never. Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell whether it was him or the movie, but he always graded on me. Um, although I do like him in the rundown, mm -hmm. but in Goon, it was like an explosion of taste. <laughs> you make him sound like a starburst. I can't wait for the second one. Uh, so likable. I don't know. Such a sweetheart. That uh, I don't know, but was it just? But is is it? Then I get back to whether it was just like the director or the actor again. Well, it's so tailored to like his personality and this just kind of like. Dogged good-naturedness that he, this dope, inherent dopiness that he has, which is it seemed really dear. believable. It's what? Just he was really convincing. Like yeah. he was just dumb enough to know he was dumb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my number one. All right. Do the listeners have any picks that would get them thrown in jail, Kelly Wand? <sighs> some do, some don't. Let's find out where this goes. Uh. Paul Weimer writes, I picked actors I actively disliked and dismissed openly until their performance in a particular role made me make kilometers out of the mileage of their work. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I smell anime, but no, it won't be from <laughs> Weimer. <laughs> Number three, I had dismissed for years the work of Will Ferrell and avoided his movies until I saw his touching performance as an IRS auditor turn. Oh, this is a good one. I kind of am with Paul Weimer. Although tragedy. Maggie Gyllenhaal did most of the work there. What? Yep. I said it. That's right. She was the baker, right? She made I know. Cookies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, also. In Stranger Than Fiction, his interactions with Dustin Hoffman in particular were delightful. Number two, for years I had not been a fan of Ben Stiller. But I was Ooh. really taken by his performance as the <laughs> eponymous Greenberg. You can say, I bet that's what he wrote. <sighs> I feel like I've read this one before. I was really taken by his performance 
as the eponymous character in the secret life of Walter Mitty. What? Oh my God, Paul Weaver, I'm breaking up with you. You are going to sit over here in the corner with Miles Teller and Jonah Hill, the stars of War Dogs. Did we see it? Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Yeah. yeah. It we was, saw uh, it. it had, um, shoot, who shows up for the, oh, it had Jim Patton Curry. Oswalt in sandals as like a representative of Ugh. OK Cupid. Remember that? Yeah. Sounds like collateral beauty. I mean, and it had Sean Penn too as the elusive photographer who he's trying to track down. Yeah, I didn't oh, like right. Walter Mitty at all. Although Collateral I, Beauty, what an awkward title. What the hell is up with that title? Yeah, what is that? It's American Beauty meets Collateral with Tom Cruise <laughs> and Jamie Foxx, who shared a lady. <laughs> so Paul Weimer liked him in Secret Life of Walter Mitty and not Greenberg, huh? Yeah. I like people who stick to their guns on really weird shit like that, though. Like, you know what? Fuck it. Do you guys know about Mike Propiglia's new movie, Don't Think Twice? Yes, I've, I've been told heard to about it. it. I've really wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. All right. You guys have fun. Okay. Uh, that's, it is yeah. awful. It is so gratingly awful that when Ben Stiller shows up for a cameo as himself, uh, kind of making fun of his persona, I was just so grateful. For anyone, oh, really? someone to not be. And I like the people in it. I liked Mark Birbiglia's like character performances in Trainwreck, and I know I've seen him somewhere else. And there's a, a young woman named uh, Kate McCucci in it. Uh, I even I, I like the Key and Peel fella. I've liked him in some stuff, but no, I everyone in this was just oh god, it was horrible. It, it do you know what it's about? Yeah, is it just cringeworthy because of the subject matter? Yeah, I mean they're they're basically playing improv comics right. who don't. Fit. Yeah, I thought it, it was more about uh, like, sounds like when, when it's time to give up your dream. Uh, kind of. It's more like, hey, one of our friends got really successful, and why aren't? And how do we feel about him now that we're not successful? Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's also just about it's so kind of smug about how funny and clever and creative improv comedians are, and I just have a hard time watching supposed improv when obviously it's scripted and the extras playing the audience are laughing at a specific point like yeah. nothing good about morning it vietnam. organic it's what good morning vietnam just uh, like reaction shots people going oh my okay. god you're yeah. killing me over here with this well if you want to see he said good morning yeah what if you, if you want to see mark Bur- Bur- mike burbiglia doing that sort of thing yeah then don't, Don't think, think twice, twice about seeing it. Is that your review? <laughs> but I was just so glad when Ben Stiller shows up and it's like, okay, now here's how you do it, folks. Watch him. Oh, he's good in it? Yeah, just playing himself, being sort of self-deprecating. Hmm. Um, Weimer continues, the teaching the skateboard scene in Walter Mitty to Kristen Wiig's son, just a tiny – Little in the background moment sold me and unlocked the film and the actor completely. Hmm. <laughs> no response from Tom. Number one. Secret like, Life of Walter Mitty is, I seem to recall, it has some uh, lovely photography. Is the teaching the skateboard scene one to which you gravitated? I honestly didn't even remember Kristen Wiig was in it. So. I, I did, yeah. Who directed then? Was, it, was that like... It wasn't Spike Jones, was it? Um, who's the Bruce Almighty guy? Jim Carrey. Okay. Number one, likely scooped by one of you already, but I thought little of Adam Sandler's work until Patch Adams. Just the entire performance through. Wait, 
He really wrote Punch Drunk Love. No, I'm just King. teasing you. Okay, that, uh, that, that's, that's, that's. I was just having some fun, Paul. Kelly, you were abusing the power of office. What? Yeah, I'm just spicing it up. I'm just throwing in some. Right. Uh, you know, I'm riding with the garbage, like Han. Chris Hobson writes, hi guys. No Kelly Wan, real quick, when you said that, I know it was a throwaway. I was thinking, when did Khan ride with garbage? Like, I thought you were doing a Star Trek reference. In the nebula. <laughs> that's, the just how, that's how much after seeing Manchester by the Sea, that's how much Star Trek I have on the brain. That when you say, like Khan, I think of Khan, you know, the wrathful guy, and not Han. Oh, you so think of Cumberbatch? Oh, he is Khan. That's right. Ew. Yeah. See? Yeah. Can't do that- it. People really talk about that movie a lot. Remember when that movie happened? That's where Dingus put a condom on his leg. That he, that was the movie that gave us nice because it came out of a cloud. Yeah, just not just like, nice, but standing up, doing yeah. the fist pump in the audience. Well, because the ship was rising. He yeah, and rise. like clouds were coming off of it, or water, yeah. or whatever. It was like yeah, he was farting. Yeah. Hi guys, no particular order. Chris Hobson writes. Wait, does he mean? No particular order to us guys or them. You know, Kelly, I want to give him a th- – you show him – give him a taste of his own medicine by reading out of order his choices. All right. His number two. Yeah. Read, them ba- read them backwards. I'll, that'll teach him. This will teach him to yeah. pay attention and <laughs> participate in things. <laughs> number two. This is America. Number two, The Black Cat, 1934. Oh, I love it. I love when listeners, like, like Hobson is writing in with stuff with The Black Cat, like, every week, right? Like, yeah. this is Hobson. Yeah, this is his. Oh, thing. that's his thing? That's his so. midnight run. He finds a way to make The Black Cat. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting. Hmm. See, now, so our goal is to find a three-by-three three where that's, like, too challenging. How could, how could the Black Cat? Yeah. Uh, favorite three movies that aren't called The Black Cat. There you go. We'll get him there. Uh, well, this one's the Black Cat, parentheses 1934. So that's the name of it. So he's already weaseled out. Number two, the Black Cat, 1934. Started a hunt for Karloff Lugosi combo movies. All right, he's in jail. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the way. Thrown in jail by the. The most lenient prosecutor in the land. That takes some doing. This is what you get for writing your number two in the middle. Unfortunately, this was the most they ever interacted on screen. Lots of good Karloff movies, though. I liked it when they interacted when uh, Martin Landau pretended to be Karloff, making fun of him and Ed Wood. He's all, this is all he does. (laughs) (laughs) Call that acting. That's interaction. Number one, Wake and Fright. <laughs> what? Wake and Fright. It's like that's another grandpa movie people. that's trying to make you think it's scary when it's probably really going to be slow and dumb. I feel like I'm dodging anime bullets. <laughs> not disturbing. You're like Neo in the Matrix here, Kelly Wand. Well done. Mm, I'm more like uh, Switch. Okay. Ah, Adam Sandler. Great Adam Sandler work. Yes, of course. Uh, click. Doesn't Christopher Walken sell him that... Uh, remote control. That's called Click. Switch is Blake Edwards' uh, Ellen Barkin movie. Oh my god, you got me, Kelly Wand. Uh-huh. I'm so glad you're here for me with these things. Thank you. Loose Cannons. Okay, Wake and Fright, number one, by Chris Hobson, directed by Ted Kotcheff, who later did Rambo First Blood. Not nearly as good. So this is the movie that converted him? 
Wake and Fright. I'll take his word for it. Number three, Seven Samurai. Wait, who did he convert him to? <laughs> Ted, this Ted Kerchief guy? I guess Ted Kotchev, because he said First Blood's not as good. So he was converted to him and then watched something that wasn't as good. I don't, Chris, I, I don't even know who that – I've never heard of Ted – I mean – I know the Rambo movie. But Ted- I like trying to. I'm trying to like shoehorn these choices into the topic the way I did with you. Now, is that you, Kelly Wan, talking to me, or is that in Chris Hobson's email? That's me. Okay. Do I sound like I'm reading a while? Sometimes you're just so naturalistic with things. I am reading just from what my brain writes out. <laughs> wow. Seven Samurai. Started watching every Kurosawa movie I could find after this. Liked them all. What? How do you not like? A that's what I'm saying. Assault. So that's his first one, and that converted him. He's in jail, right? I hated him till I watched him, then I liked him instantly. Yeah, yeah. No, I hated him, and I had no reason to have any opinion about him. The Black Cat was almost the best one. Is he in jail, Chris Hobson? Yeah, he's in jail Sweet. for three awesome. It's ridiculous. Come on, people. <laughs> Give me something. Is that what people say? Give me something. Justin D. Hurd writes, Hey, guys, I absolutely love this topic. Another sweet score for Kelly. You added that. He didn't. There's no way someone wrote that. That's, wrote it. Nope, I don't believe it. Would I write another sweet score for me? Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. Number three, Perfume, the story of a murderer. Ben Wishaw. Oh, man, this movie. Ben Wishaw's portrayal of Jean-Baptiste Grenoir. Grenoil? An embarrassment. <laughs> this is almost like anime. Yeah, I know. It's French anime. <laughs> I love how out of place he is, how simple his drive is, as well as how vibrant the film is, how it throws you in the muck and dares you to ignore it. Regardless of awesome performances by Dustin Hoffman and Alan Rickman, Ben was the actor that stood out for me, and I've been a fan ever since. See, this is another thing where he doesn't say, like, oh, I hated Ben Wishaw till that movie. Maybe yeah. I didn't explain the topic very well, for once. <laughs> Even I'm capable of error, occasionally. Number two, Red Riding, colon, in the oh. year of our Lord, 1974. I hope he's talking about the director. Andrew Garfield. Oh, man, what? Oh, no, I'm thinking of that stupid thing where Gary Oldman puts someone in a, in a brass cow belly. Oh. With Amanda Seyfried as, as Riding Hood. Um, hi. As someone who still hasn't seen Boy and It, <laughs> let's make fools read and then poke them with sticks. That's what the internet's become in my lifetime. Or, as Justin D. Hurd puts it, as someone who still hasn't seen Boy A, I was absolutely wrapped by Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Eddie Dunford, a rookie Yorkshire journalist who sets out to solve a child murder case. This is the first of three films in the Zodiac-esque storyline. I can't help the anime voice. It just creeps in. <laughs> if you haven't watched the Red Riding trilogy, it's definitely worth the watch. This movie also just made Sean Harris and Rebecca Hall, all of which I've become fascinated with as well. Oh, yeah, Rebecca Hall. Remember? Who's yeah. that? Who's, whose email is that, Kelly Wand? Justin D. Hurd. Justin D. Hurd. Uh, you should see Isolation as well. That early Ruth Nega movie. They're talking about some uh, good Sean Harris in that. Hmm. Number one, Voices of a Distant Star. Anime. I have a bad feeling. You. 
by director Makoto Shinke, <laughs> otherwise known as the next Miyazaki of Studio Ghibli fame. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ghibli. Do you hear that? Because it's Studio Ghibli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were in Saturday Night Live, I believe. Although this movie clocks in at just under 25 minutes, it is dense, telling a better story than most two-hour science fiction movies I've seen. It's about the high school students Makako Nagamine or <laughs> <laughs> I hate humans. <laughs> you are. It's terrible. It's a terrible waste of time. All of this. Oh, why can't I fast forward? Because I'm saying it. Okay, thanks. When the alien Tarjans attack, Makako volunteers to be a pilot in the space force that will protect mankind. The lovers try to remain in contact using text messages. But as each battle takes Makako further from the Earth, each message takes longer to arrive. What makes the movie interesting? None of that. Nine paragraphs in is that the director also wrote animated CG, directed, and voice acted it with his wife. Don't you say- Wow! Wow! Basement anime. That's like bathtub gin, but the anime version. (laughs) Uh, That is that is the most interesting thing about it. It's also notable for its super realistic backgrounds, mostly due to rotoscoping. Ever since I saw this movie, I've been converted into a lifelong fan. Thanks for everything you guys do. Tell us the name of that that movie again, Kelly. One something something the what and the something star. Uh, distant voices of a star from the thing. That's it. <laughs> Macaco. Wow. Shh. Shh. Voices of a distant star. <laughs> that sh was from me to me. Because remember, Makaku is a space pilot protecting Earth. I hate you. <laughs> Arthur Giovanna Jelly writes, number three, Red Cliff. Oh, three Kingdoms movie. I finished it. This, it is, this is more anime. Go ahead. Oh, what? Oh, it's pre-anime. It's pre-anime. I figured John Woo was done making interesting movies. But his 2008 and 2009 two-part movie, Red Cliff, made me reconsider that assessment, loosely based on the Battle of Chibi. Like I said, anime, keep going. Yes, China's Han Dynasty. Red Cliff adds plenty of wonder and fantasy to what could have been a boring historical war drama. It was great to discover that Wu still had a good movie left in him. The only thing I heard in that was boring historical war drama. That was my takeaway. (laughs) The bad guy's name is uh, Cow Cow, by the way. Although it's pronounced so so. You got to watch out for those yellow turbans specifically. They're the ones who you really. Uh... Oh, you read chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> There's 120. Keep going. How do you I feel get... about Lou Boo? <gasps> oh. I know, right? See? Yeah. 
He was Don Juo's. Uh, never mind. Did you play as that guy? I don't know what you're talking about. I read books, Kelly Wong. I don't play video games. I know my knowledge 14th through books. 14th century? Okay, who wrote it? Who wrote this book? Hmm? Homer. Gone Baby Gone is Arthur Jovan and Jelly's number two. This turned. Oh, wait. This, I thought of this one, too. This turned around my opinions on both Ben and Casey Affleck. I thought Ben was pretty bad in most of the, his movies, but his directing in Gone Baby Gone. Oh, wait, I was thinking of Gone Girl when I started reading this, as usual. But his directing in Gone Baby Gone Girl made it clear that he had some talent behind the camera. Casey, I always thought of as Ben's forgettable little brother, but this movie made it very clear that he can act even as the leading man. This new opinion of Casey was common and cemented. <laughs> I like you. When I saw the assassination of Jesse James, I car. <laughs> Kelly got drunk halfway through saying those words. Tired. Number one, in Bruges. It's difficult Ooh. to overstate just how much this movie flipped my opinion on Colin Farrell. I'd seen him in several forgettable movies and came away unimpressed by his work. Then I saw him in Bruges and I was blown away. Now I look forward to seeing him in movies and come away disappointed with movies that don't make good use of him. Have either of you seen London Boulevard? Uh, the Keira Knightley thing where she basically plays herself. No. And I really like him in that, too. There was something I liked him in. Oh, yeah, it was The Lobster. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was something I liked him in. Chris Webb writes, Here are my entries for this reboot of a 2010 Kelly Flood 3 What? <sighs> Sounds like you've been called out for having done this one before, Kelly Wand. Hmm. By the last listener. Damn. It's a good thing someone's on the case. Well, it's just that good. A topic. It's rich. It's fertile. Number three, Justin Timberlake in Southland Tales. Oh. Number two, Dwayne Johnston in Southland Tales. Nice. Number one, Sean William Scott in Southland Tales. <laughs> I apologize for being a Southland Tales apologist. Which one, Southland Tales? It's Richard Kelly's follow-up to Donnie Darko. It's like oh. this, this guy does this yeah. weird, awesome Donnie Darko, and then he makes this huge, sprawling, socio-political commentary mess, uh, which did have a good – I don't remember Justin Timberlake in it, but I really do remember not so much Dwayne Johnson, but Sean William Scott thinking, oh, man, this, this guy's really good when you give him interesting material to work with. Um, hmm. Have you seen Southland Tales? Because I would think that's the sort of thing, Kelly Wan, that you're like, yeah, it's really good. I don't see anthologies. Because <laughs> it it's not really an anthology, but he does, isn't it like it's subtitle? Maybe. Southland Tales, an anthology of – oh, no, it's just because it has the word tales. Yeah, oh, I see what you're doing. They're all in it. Uh, yeah, I mean I didn't – again, I don't remember Justin Timberlake from it. Um, well – it's got a big cast. I mean, it's got a lot of like, oh, she's in it. He's, He's saying he likes it, though. Chris Webb's defending it. You know what they do? Oh, I forgot about this. They have a bunch of like Saturday Night Live actors playing resistance members. And I, th I remember thinking, what? Why are you doing this? They're not good or funnier. Yeah. This I isn't like, did, are you just, do you owe Lord Michaels a favor or something? Why, why are you casting them? It's a bad place to be. Yeah. But yeah, um, that's the last listener. Markardson uh, missed the buzzer, maybe? <laughs> Where is he? Markardson obviously uh, would have 
pick Dwayne Johnson, Miles Teller, and Casey Affleck. I'm pretty sure. He would have put you in jail for that dumb thing you said. Marcusson would never put anyone in jail. I can't imagine him being a jailer. When you said Michael Bay, that was really dumb. He would have put me in jail, but apologetically. That's true. Yeah. Canadian. Yeah. Say la guerre. I don't speak German. That's the final listener submission for this awesome topic. Runners up? Uh, um, I finally like Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, because yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Usually sucks. What do I need to see to, to be brought around on that, Kelly Wand? My left foot. <laughs> okay. I'll be sure to check that movie out. I haven't seen out. any of his more recent work. Isn't that a Lifetime movie? Yeah. My left foot? Yeah, TV4. Yeah. With his left foot. Huh. It's good. It's really Irish. It's like a John Huston movie, or in, but mixed with a John Hughes movie. Hmm. All right. This is terrible. <laughs> uh, have any of us been brought around? One of these days we'll do this topic, and maybe we'll have like an Alicia Vikander movie we can bring up. Oh, she's always good. <laughs> I liked her as a robot. Oh, yeah. Anybody can play a robot. Arnold Schwarzenegger can do it. And then an Ex Machina, she was also really good. <laughs> Dingus, what are we doing for a topic next week? Uh, how can save how can, me? Yeah, how can like Chris Hobson get out of jail? All right, Chris Hobson can get out of jail by bringing his favorite suitcase. <laughs> Dingus, I just have a real quick procedural question. All right, how big does it have to be to be a suitcase and not a briefcase? Uh, I shy away from briefcases like I would take Pulp Fiction off the table to be quite honest with you man Kelly Wendy's taking briefcases off the table really uh, what about attaches yeah you don't want to put diplomats in this topic <laughs> do not keep them in your suitcase Kelly Wendy. they can't breathe oh. when you close them up in a suitcase yeah let your attache out or at least punch holes in the suitcase before you transport him that way seriously uh, it's on them if it's their job these are your favorite suitcases in movies um Mm. I think the I think you guys Fuck. can do this. I'm pretty sure you can. I'm scared of this one. Don't I think Kelly Wan is going to choose at least one purse. <laughs> I never notice these things. <laughs> you will. You'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. My gaze stops at the hand. I don't see the handle. <laughs> uh, if you have about. ideas for what are your favorite suitcases in movies, uh, please send them to uh, 3x3 at quarter3.com. That's 3x3 at quarter3.com. And if you have ideas for the next movie we're going to see, then you should also send your ideas for that, you know, uh, any notes you might have about the movie to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Just uh, title your email differently. But I don't even know what movie we're seeing next week, so I can't tell you how to title the email yet. Dingus, how do you feel about a little lady named Kate McKinnon? Hmm. Uh, I, I I like Kate McKinnon. I think she's the modern-day Jerry Lewis. What about a young woman named Jillian Bell? Oh, Dingus, I like Jillian Bell. Are you oh, a fan yeah. of that, that fellow from Silicon Valley, T.J. Miller? You like that guy? Mm. Yeah, T.J. Miller, yeah. Let's go see a Christmas uh, office Christmas party or Christmas office party. I've never worked in an office. I'm not sure. Office Christmas Party is what this is called. Uh, the Hangover Writers, but some directors, I don't recall who they are. So we're going to see that. Oh, wow. And then Kelly Wand is going to have to write a synopsis of something that's already funny. I, we hope. Fingers crossed, right? He usually brooks mm. at that. Mm-mm. What? What? <laughs> what was the verb? 
Brooks? The word, the word was Brooks. I usually brook at that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that sounds right. Makes me think of Kelly Brooks. Not really. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's right. Just Brooks. Singular. God. Remember, Foster Brooks' sunglasses. What? Remember Dora Baird? Mm. Remember her? Likely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Not it's the Dora. right days. wasn't her. <laughs> what? At all. Wait, uh, she's in the thing? Office? Christmas? I don't think she's in office Christmas party. I think she's retired, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, so join us for an office Christmas party podcast next week. And then for the second half, for what's called the the back end of the podcast, we'll do a three-by-three three on suitcases. So join us for that. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian it's Christian Morosky. It's kind of what I just said. And we had Kelly Wand. Hey, this topic comes with a lot of baggage. I can handle it. I hope it clears customs. <laughs> I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Oh, I didn't like him till Riddick. That's true too. Uh, Kelly, are you fundamentally unsound? Are you brain damaged? <laughs> are you going Wait, to Godspell? Slow. I, the one about the Han kid? Are you sorry you misused the English language? Do we have to talk about this now? <laughs> Should I tell you to order a condom? Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 